it that's just it. I mean, up until I was probably about oh shit, four or five years old, I had a very strong belief in Santa Claus, and I believed him to be a real person living in a house somewhere in the North Pole. And I didn't come into I didn't come into the understanding that Santa Claus is not a real, actual, physical being until I was told by my cousin, "Hey, Daniel." Santa Claus is fake, your mom is lying to you, and then I proceeded to cry, and, and reality hit me, but who knows what, how many Santa Claus-type beliefs that we have that we were t- told by our parents or told by school, they could be completely fake. Yeah. Yeah, and I, f- I feel like usually when, uh, I don't know, I find it very strange, I noticed that you're, uh, you know, I think the only show I really listened to, Daniel, before we uh, hit this up today... Um, was the um, Greg, Gregory Garrett, uh, I'm trying to think of his last name. I bought that guy's book. It, it's amazing if you don't have a hard copy. Oh, Gregory um, Garrett Lesson. Yeah, I mean, because I, I, uh, I think that's how I found you. I think I might have seen your – I'm kind of a podcast junkie, so I'll bounce all over the place. But I definitely intend to go look at more of your stuff that you've published. But, um, you know, the whole – the magic idea, um, I've, I've never been a practicing – magician um as far as having any ritual practice but i certainly believe that um that what magicians and i mean real magicians not stage magic you know um i i certainly believe that what they're reporting to us is uh is true and genuine and that it references um you know some form or connection to magic throughout the ages and so that i'd, I'd say that most people they automatically discount that, so then they think it's just ooga booga or woo woo. You know, they don't realize that uh, someone like Tracy Twyman. I don't know if you're familiar with her. When I, I think when Tracy Twyman tells you she's using the Ouija board to contact um, other entities, that she's not she's not making it up or lying. She's she's effectively using a tool um, that provides mediumship. You know, and I, I feel like most people. Some people will take a hard look at something like nukes or like flat earth or any subject that's uh, on that controversial tipping point where people want to become divided or be uncertain and then they want to poo-poo it. You know, I'm sure, you know, in your in, in this, uh, I'm sure you're up against that all the time. People, you know, aliens, anything like this, you know, all these subjects. I Sometimes I feel like it really is that some people... Uh, some people manage to break the magic spell or get out from underneath whatever, uh, for lack of a better word, for whatever the spell is, and then they can see it. And other people, even if they try to look at the same identical evidence, they don't see it. You know, they don't they don't vibe on it. Like, oh, I looked into it, and I think nukes are definitely real, whereas I'm looking at it like, geez, it, I just can't give myself enough evidence through the research I am allowed to do, the limited research I'm allowed to do, um, to, to substantiate a position and say that I can believe in it or that I, you know... I don't believe it. Yeah, yeah. And you know what gets me about the nuke thing, um, like I was telling you, I, I did kind of try my hardest to study it, even though most of this stuff obviously is just going to go way over my head. But the basic idea of the way a nuclear weapon works is they're taking two pieces of plutonium or uranium or two, pa- two pieces of radioactive metal and slamming them against each other at a very high speed, and supposedly that's supposed to cause the reaction – and, I mean, who am I to say that that's going to cause a reaction or that it's not going to? It doesn't seem like it would, but I can't be totally sure unless I actually tried it myself. And I don't want to do right. that. 
Yeah, I mean, if if given the right circumstances, um, I would uh, I would love to be more hands on and involved, but definitely not to the point where it's me and you. Because uh, if it really is what they say it is, God forbid, you know, it's too volatile, right? We don't want. <laughs> we yeah, don't want but to be playing with it. <laughs> at the, at, yeah, but at the same time, unless somebody actually tries it and puts it on YouTube, we pretty much just have to trust the scientists and the government and. Uh, and how how can we really trust them until there's a private party that actually takes a video of a nuke going off or really demonstrates it for us in a really easy to prove way? It's like okay, maybe all those pictures are just models, and maybe it's just a bunch of hocus pocus and movie magic. Yeah, and I, I think it is, man. There's a I'll uh, I'll drop you a link after we do this, and um, to uh, it's funny we ended up on this subject because last night on the We've been doing a weekly variety show. I don't know if you caught that in that, you know, Twitter to me is like trying to have a conversation in a in a loud bar or something, you know. Like you never know for sure exactly who, you know, people might like your tweet but that doesn't mean they read it or opened it or but um we uh we've been doing a, a show every week and we call it RX only picture show and it's like it's like a real mishmash variety of crap, you know, like we're playing guitar, we're juggling, I'm playing with the yo-yo, we're talking about conspiracies, we're talking about politics, we're, ta- we're fielding questions from the chat, but um, we ended up talking about the same thing, and I remembered an amazing video by a, a Korean guy, in his, um, he's on Vimeo, not YouTube, and it's called Jin Han Park, and I'll, I'll link it to you after the show, man, so you can see, because it's... To me, Jesse Waugh, that artist is amazing. I did an interview with him. That was the first real interview I ever did on the Internet was with Jesse Waugh. And um, he he did a a video called Nuke Lies. And Nuke Lies is really good, and it's really short. It's like 10 minutes. And Jesse Waugh is amazing, man. If you, you, I would get him on your show, bro, if if, uh, if you're interested in more guests. He's he's in a similar um, vibe as, as what we're already covering. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm kind of one of those people where, at least with the Nuke thing, I'm like okay, nukes are real, and then I look into them like, no, nukes are fake, and then I sort of, as time goes by, I start to just go along with everybody else again, and I'm back to thinking, like, nukes are real. But, again, I just haven't seen proof one way or another, and it does kind of drive me nuts, because it really is the perfect way for these elite, or these world leaders, or these governments, whoever it is, however you want to label them, for them to just keep everybody under fear with with the uh, control, fear and control, with the nuclear weapons that are so powerful, supposedly they can just destroy a whole city. I mean, who wouldn't be terrified of that? Yeah, I think, and I think that's what it is, exactly. And I think it's really, uh, what you said is to me is a beautiful thing, man. Um, uh, that, um, you know, you described what I call the process of falling back asleep. And uh, I kind of pick on myself for falling back asleep, you know, like... Uh, I've I've studied um, all this kind of stuff on and off over and over again in my life, and um, there's there's been sometimes when I felt like I've got, I've stumbled on the information that's too too real and too legit, and I don't like it, and I want to step away from it, you know, like oh man, I don't want to, I don't I never want like uh, hot evidence in my hands of of someone very powerful doing things wrong, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to be an activist or a warrior or you know, I'm definitely all about disseminating information uh, freely amongst each other. But that's really just so that people can have open dialogue and conversation. You know, I'm not an activist trying to be like, oh, we're going to expose people. Like, you know, me and you don't want, like, uh, somebody to send us a a box of of paperwork that gives us dirt on people that are, you know, actively involved in something because it's a huge liability, you know. 
And um, many years ago, I felt like I'd, uh, you know, I hadn't found anything that hot, but I found um, information about a guy named uh, Peter Kawaja. If you've never heard of him, it's it's hard to find any information on that guy anymore because it's all scrubbed off the web. But um, he did like he did like 24 hours of uh, recording himself presenting evidence that he had collected, and then he edited it all down to 12 hours, and I had found just the audio of it. And so, for a while, I stepped away from any kind of conspiracy research after I found that stuff. Um, and then, because I stepped away from it, I kind of forgot. Like like you said, you know, uh, like, oh, you just start believing nukes are real, believing, you know, in satellites and the globe again. In my in my case, you know, that was one of the things I... I uh, I wrote a song about the flat earth when I, when I, uh, came back to, I came back to flat earth about the end of 2015 and I had, I had forgotten that I'd stumbled onto flat earth research like a long time ago, like 12 years ago. And I had actually believed that the earth was flat, like way, way ahead of this whole trend that we're seeing now. And I forgot, <laughs> you know, which is really weird, but it's kind of the same thing you described. So I'm glad you said that, you know? Yeah. And exactly. Flat earth is another one of those, one of those things because it's it's like you see the evidence, you see the videos, and you conclusively decide that something's wrong. Earth is not round. It's not spinning through space at thousands of miles per hour. But then, you know, you, you get back into the flow. You start watching the, the TV, and you see stuff like Star Wars. And, I mean, who doesn't want to believe that Star Wars is real? I love Star Wars. And for their not yeah, to be yeah. space, that's kind of, it kind of sucks. It's depressing. It is because I, for a while after I stumbled back onto it, you know, I was uh, I wrote a song about it. You know, a lot of the time, um, a lot of the time, music. I don't know if you make art. I assume you do, uh, but uh, it'll just sometimes stuff will just come to you. Sometimes you have to work really hard at it, right? And uh, so my my little song, uh, I played it on that uh, Worski live stream I was on when I debated JF. I played it at the end. They they gave me that chance to play him a song, and I thought that was cool. But um, it just came to me like you know, and it was. Partly like, oh, wow, I was laughing at myself because I had forgotten. And then at the same time, I'm like, oh, these fucking liars. They lied about, you know, the nature of the whole realm that we exist in. Like, like you know, so you get pissed off. Like, you jerks. And then so for a while after that, I had a nerd, knee-jerk reaction to anything science fiction in outer space. You know, like, because me and my girlfriend watch movies. And, you know, of course, it's it's. I went to Star Wars when I was four years old. My mom took me to the premiere, you know, and and my whole family's been obsessed with Star Wars since, you know, I'm the oldest of my siblings. So, like, we were, you know, that's our thing, you know. And so then to have it be like, uh, you look at it and you're like, fuck this, you know. Pardon my language, man. I'm trying not to drop no F-bombs. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I totally, I totally hear you. Um, the thing with Flat Earth, it's, it's kind of shocking. When you first really turn the corner and you really, when you really start to accept it and believe it, it, it can kind of blow your mind and, and shake you up a little bit just because it's so shocking. Just the, the idea and, and realizing that it was like this the whole time. It's not that the earth suddenly became flat. It was always the way that it is, whether it's flat or it's round but we have actually been hypnotized or deceived into believing it's one way or the other. Yeah, that's that back to that idea of a spell that we're under a a, a, a trick, you know, that that they they get us to not believe our own five senses that we take authority. To me, that's the that's what most of these arguments come down to whether or not you're willing to accept an argument of um authority versus um, trusting your own five senses, and I'm I'm shocked every day at how many people 
will will they'll have an angry knee jerk reaction and vehemently argue against the evidence of their own five senses and defend or uh, or posit the position of some kind of authority, whether it be scientists or their own personal anecdotal experience or whatever, blows my mind, dude. Because, like, I even try to, like, when I, I... I don't try to come off uh, harsh, like... I think, and I don't know, I don't know if you watched the debate or not that I was on, but I tried to explain to people that I think that they... I think they brought this whole thing out as a bring-out, you know? I don't think it's a... I don't think it's like an organic thing at all that like all of a sudden a bunch of people like Eric DeBay and uh, Jaronism and Mark Sargent, Patricia Steer and all these people suddenly um, just figured out the earth was flat and started to promote it. I think that it's a complete op. So then it becomes really confusing if you try and talk to people. They're like, so you think it's a psyop? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And they're like, but you still think it's flat? And I'm like, yeah, I do. (laughs) So, But I've... um, the group that I'm in that has been studying, we we have a totally different make, model, and understanding, and it's all based on us getting together and doing empirical research as a group. Like you pick a partner who's in Australia or who's in UK if you're in the United States, and uh, and you start to like clock the moon and take um, synchronized photography, or you. Uh, calculate exactly where the moon is greeting you on the horizon and then where it's setting every day as many days as you can see it and track it in the sky and all these uh and same thing with like venus and um the other some of the other more prominent uh you know planets in the sky and stuff so we got this whole like it's a square flat earth with like a projection of of more than one sun and more than one moon. So I try and break it down, especially without showing anybody pictures, and people are just tripping. They're like, you're crazy, Sean, you know. Like, <laughs> But I, I really think the whole circle map is just their straw man. That's their straw man, and you can see them now starting to set it on fire, you know. They're, they're, uh, they've got some channels that are really going hard at debunking the circle map, and if you jump in there and try and argue with them, they get all uh, indignant and... Um, you know, superior, and I think uh, I think it's a controlled op on both sides, bro. I really do. I don't I don't think it's organic at all. I think they've got guys like me and you looking at it, having to like make our decision which side are we on. So we choose a side. Either we're definitely on the globe, or we think it's flat. And then so we're kind of like following the Pied Pipers on both sides, so that we're divided and disagreeing with one another. Over, I mean, it seems like they've got they want us to disagree about everything, you know whether it's race or religion, now it's the shape of the earth, it's politics, it's things like abortion, like the aliens, all of it. They want us to never have, like, common ground. You know, that's that's the way I see the world. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there, people within the conspiracy community, they think that all the UFO stuff, all the alien sort of stuff is, is a psyop as well, that it's just disinformation being put out there to confuse us and make us think that there's aliens when in reality there's there's no aliens they're just artificial intelligence or they're holograms or they're d- demonic beings or something like that yeah yeah and uh, i i noticed that uh that you had bill cooper pinned on your page because I, I used to love listening to bill cooper i used to download I mean, I'm talking a long time ago now, but I used to, you know, the whole Mystery Babylon series, I've recommended that to lots of people, and I used to tune into um, Hour of the Time um, and and download all the old archives while I was uh, working. Like, I used to list stuff for a guy on eBay, and I would just imbibe William Cooper. And that's kind of what, like, he started out being a alien believer, 
Did you ever read his book, the uh, Behold the Pale Horse? Oh yeah, I bought bought myself a copy a few years ago. It's a uh, it's definitely a, a classic in the field of conspiracy and probably w- one of the best, if not the best, book that we've had on this stuff so far. Yeah. You know, and uh, so in that, he talks about how, you know, he was what? He was a naval intelligence officer, and he saw um, some fantastical, something like an alien spacecraft when they were out in the ocean that, like, if I remember it, like, it submerged from the water and flew around in the sky and then resubmerged. So it acted like an airplane and a submarine at the same time. And then he got all these documents from the government that were saying it was aliens. And then later, he reversed his position and said he thought it was an op and that they were trying to groom him to promote aliens. So it's just like always mud in the water, right? Like, like if you can't trust Bill, you know, if Bill Cooper either was being, being duped by the government or if he's actually an agent, then by, by God, who, who do we rely on then? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. It just goes on forever. It's like, okay, is it the aliens trying to make us think there's not aliens because there are aliens or are there no aliens and they want us to make, they want to make us think that there are aliens because they, who knows? I mean, it just goes on and on. What came first, the disinfo or the alien? <laughs> that's good. That's a good quote, man. That's great. And that's so true. Oh, that's well, that's that. You should check out my song, man. It's the first thing that's on my YouTube page and it's a, uh, the chorus of it is turtles all the way down, you know, cause that's like the cliche, right? You know that uh, you've you've heard that um, that old fable of the uh, the king coming out and explaining that the earth is a globe now, and the little old lady arguing with the king and saying no, the earth isn't a globe. It's a uh, it's balanced. It's a disc balanced on the back of four uh, elephants that are standing on top of a turtle. And so the king asks her, well, what's underneath the turtle? And she says, well, it's another turtle. And he <laughs> says, he says, well, well, okay, that's fine, dear lady, but what's underneath that turtle? And she says, well, you can't fool me, uh, good king. It's turtles all the way down, you know. And that's the that's the joke you know, of my chorus of the song is that, like, it can't, uh, you mean, you get it. I mean, I know you get it. It's, it's an anachronism, right? Like, you can't have, there has to be something at the bottom. <laughs> we can't, yeah, exactly. It can't be just conspiracy, disinfo, conspiracy, disinfo, alien, disinfo, alien, disinfo, all the way down. There has to be an actual answer here somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's just a lot of things that don't add up about space. That the idea that there's just this black void that goes on forever and ever. That that's really no different than just say, saying it's infinite turtles is to say that. Right. Yeah. That's well. That's that's one of the main like when when people ask me why I think it's flat. That's what I tell them. I'm like, well, I don't see any any easy way to measure gauge or show that there's definitely curvature. There's people arguing 24-7 now on the YouTubes about curvature. And if it was simple cut and dry, you know, I mean, you can see the curvature to my head. There's no debate, you know, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, we we could definitely measure it. Um, So between curvature and uh, the fact that water, the way water works where we are inside this realm, whatever it is, it always, if you let it settle and be still, it always settles like a, none of the, I am not satisfied with the information available to demonstrate to me that this proves that we're on some kind of a globe because the water is straight and flat and there's how, how can a, I work with a vacuum at work, uh, you know, like a, we have to use a vacuum to mix up some of the materials that we use and, um, you know, if you don't have the vacuum sealed properly, then it's not a vacuum, you know. So how, 
what's this what's this alleged boundary this metaphysical boundary that they're claiming that you just go out and the pressure decreases and decreases and decreases until it's zero like that doesn't make any sense the whole atmosphere would just dissipate into that vacuum you know it would equalize itself it wouldn't it wouldn't exist here like 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 we have it you know it seems like we're definitely inside of something not yeah, but who knows, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's we really, don't have the re- once again we don't have the resources. Me and you don't get to like, hey, toss us the keys to your rocket, Elon Musk, and let's uh, me and me and Daniel are going to check it out real quick. We're going to go up so we can solve this. Yeah, that's the frustrating thing about it. it. It's the same thing as the nukes. It's like unless I can actually go into space and see what's going on with my own eyes, I have to rely on a very private, small organization, even though it's being funded by billions of dollars, there's a limited number of people that work there. They're all on kind of a need-to-know basis. It's very compartmentalized. And really, there's no direct way for me to talk to anybody or actually prove that anybody's actually going up there into space. Yeah, it's just not... And that's... I don't know that I I feel like that applies even on the way way lower levels of not anything so extreme as nukes or the shape of the earth like like me and you are, wouldn't be allowed to understand just the very the very basic knowledge we would need to know to understand how the military works how a bank works there's there's it's all like you said it's all a cellular structure um that's all honeycombed out you know they don't the the guy over here in this department is by rule and by law not allowed to know what the guy in that department is doing because it's all checks and balances of safety, um, allegedly, right, you know, that everything's on a need-to-know basis. So the farther you go into the power structure, the more that increases. And so we don't, you know... Yeah, I saw one video... I saw one video on YouTube where somebody tried to kind of prove it. They, They found the guy that made a part of the actual ships that they use... He made the uh, little O-rings that seal the doors. And yeah, they, yeah. Yeah, they talked to him, and the only thing that was in between the astronauts and the vacuum of space were these little rubber O-rings that looked like something you'd see inside of a water bottle or a, a toy or something like that. It just does not seem like right. that would be enough. To, right, like when, when your hose is leaking out at the sprinkler, right, and you got to replace the little rubber ring so that it doesn't spray you when you try and turn it on, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you kidding me, people? Rubber rings is all that's <laughs> separating us from the vacuum of space and those things. No, that mean, was that was one of the good ones from Mark Sargent. I don't really, I don't, I, I, I only went back and started really studying the people that are promoting flat Earth because of that uh, blood sports debate. I, I had stepped away from it, and really we were only doing research in our private group, but I'm glad that I did because there's a lot of, you know, you always have to dig through the crap to find the pearl of great prize, as they say, right? You know, that's the, you know, you there's so much trash and garbage and BS and disinfo, and if you really want to study any subject and, and be searching to find the answers, you you have to look past what they just left sitting there for you. And um, I feel like that, that Mark Sargent episode, that, that dude was talking about how, in really hardcore vacuums, how they're using these one-time use only aluminum or steel or whatever it was, you know, they were they were a really sophisticated locking sealing mechanism. And then they're saying that that's not even what's in the space shuttle and that there's supposed to be even more vacuum out in space than there was. That this guy's dealing with, like, massive vacuum pressure. Uh, I don't remember what he was working with, but uh, I'm pretty sure we're talking about the same 
same thing there, you know. Yeah, and there, there's another thing I did. I went and I tried to watch every video of rockets taken off or space, whether they're American or Russian, and every single one of them ended up looking like CGI or movie magic, even the Russian stuff. Yep, yep. That was that was the other thing that bugged me. When I first came back to it, Daniel, that's exactly what I... Uh, that's that's one of the lyrics of my song. They'll switch to a CGI on the never switch it back. And every one of them, you go to every you go to different space agencies and look in the rocket launch. Like all the camera angles are managed, so you never have a forward facing camera, and you never have a lateral facing camera that looks way out at the horizon. And then as they get higher and higher, there's always like a quick blackout or a, a like static. <laughs> and then and then all of a sudden they're either inside the cabin only, or it's like so obviously CGI that that you like feel embarrassed that you ever believed it, right? <laughs> like yeah, exactly. Like, oh crap! Did I used to think that was space? Because now it just looks stupid, right? <laughs> yeah, right. When they get to the point where they go from uh, within the atmosphere to uh, being to the point where the Earth actually starts getting that curve, it, just like you said, it always blacks out or they're static or they switch cameras right at that moment where all of a sudden, you, instead of facing forward, you're facing backwards. It, it kind of reminds me of pro wrestling when, um, you know, to hide the punches or hide the slams, if there's not actual impact, they'll change the camera real quick to kind of hide the mistake. Yeah, yeah. The, the, oh, man, you want, I'll, I'll tell you a story about going to pro wrestling when I was a kid, man, because it's, uh, it's totally accurate to, to what you're saying. Um, it, was, uh, it was a tag team match, and it was Randy Macho Man Savage. And uh, my grandma used to let me and my best friend when we were just like, we were just grade school kids. Like, they, they wouldn't even let kids do it nowadays. Like, we, she would drop us off at Arco Arena in Sacramento, California, and we would just go line up and go to the wrestling match by ourselves when we were like, what, I don't know, how old is a fifth or a sixth grader, whatever, you know, whatever age that is, 12 or 13. And um, I remember uh, they made a mistake, dude, and... Uh, like it was Black Bart, a tag team match versus Randy Macho Man Savage, and they threw Macho Man um, into the ropes, and Black Bart was a little bit bigger than him, and he put his, you know how they put the big boot up, and it's like they throw you in the ropes, and then you're going to kick you in the face. Well, they, he accidentally kicked him in the face hard. Okay. Like, like, like they missed, you know, their choreography was off. And Macho Man, like, fell down, and he rolled out of the ring, and he's shaking it off, like, like he's he's overdoing the the reaction, but you can tell, you can hear it and see it, you know, you can tell the difference if someone actually gets hit, and he, like, stomped around outside the ring, and then he actually went and grabbed the mic and talked to the mic for, like, two or three minutes, like, really loud, like he was really angry, but it's just because he was trying to recover, because he got kicked hard in the face, you know, and so, you know, he, he, he had a plan, he had a contingency for what if, and it's the same thing, right? They, yeah, they have yeah, their exactly. Oh, static or whatever it might be. There's always this little. Uh, there, there's the tell, as we might call it. You know, there's the tell. And then you have all these uh, little mistakes they make, like the bubbles coming out of the helmet, <laughs> the strings. You can easily see strings, or um, yeah, yeah, they're hanging from harnesses. Yeah, and then the fact that. Um, yeah, you know, this is going to be old stuff to the real hardcore flat earthers out there, but uh, the fact that they're wearing these loose, baggy spacesuits out in what's supposed to be the vacuum of space, which should be strong enough to crush a can, it just doesn't make sense. You'd have right. to wear a, a suit of armor out there if you really wanted to obstruct the vacuum of space. 
Yeah, that's it. I've, I've always, uh, since I came back to the flat Earth, it's like just looking at the way that the, the space suits are designed. And um, have you ever seen the picture of like the, the boot print that's allegedly on the moon versus um, the, the Neil Armstrong boot that's in the museum? The Neil Armstrong boot that's in the museum has the moon on the sole of the shoe. So that then technically he could say that he's standing on the moon. You know what I'm saying? If you've never seen that, you should look up the picture. Look up, look up Neil Armstrong boot. Because, you know, it's a, once again back to some kind of a trick or, a, or a, a gag that, you know, the boot that's in the museum has the moon embellished into the rubber of the soul. And so then Neil Armstrong can say, I'm standing on the moon. And he's telling the truth then, technically, because he's standing on, you know, the effigy of the moon underneath his foot. <laughs> yeah, and any of those pictures of the moon when the astronauts are actually up there you don't see very far. It's like you'll see just a little bit of ground, and then you'll see, like, this part that looks like it's smoothed over, like somebody went over it with an airbrush, and then you see the background. Like, it looks very badly edited and, and smushed together, probably because that's all that they really had back then in terms of movie magic and fakery was, you know, the much shittier-looking stuff. Yeah, that's it. I, that's the thing. I, I think that the part of the reason that they brought um, Flat Earth out is because of that, because people already, have, for a long time, have already been super suspicious of the moon landing and talking about it for years. And I remember they even had, like, regular TV documentaries doubting it, you know, just on network TV back in the day. Um, so I think that uh, they know that their uh, their fakery has a shelf life. Because like if you if if you look at the moon landing with new eyes, like the the lunar module leaving the moon is one of the hokiest like B movie shitty looking things. Like it's so bad. Like you know, like the the um the camera actually pans. Like it shows the the little spaceship jump up and it's supposed to like be jumping into space and it's going to reconnect with the 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 rocket, whatever it is, the Apollo rocket that's going to take them back. Um, so that you know or back to the lunar module, right? But it jumps up and leaves, and the camera pans to follow it in the footage. It's like, what do you, how could this possibly, like, what they, for one thing, they're leaving a camera behind on the moon that's running, and somehow it pans to follow the, the rocket. Like, we don't have technology <laughs> like these webcams and stuff nowadays that tra- trace you and track you and follow you around the room. Well, who, who's the cameraman that they left behind on the moon, right? <laughs> yeah, and another thing that gets me is with these space probes that they supposedly send out where they're shooting off this rocket and then this probe goes out and then supposedly it friggin' slingshots around another planet and then goes and travels to another planet where it slingshots around and goes and travels out through space. It's like, come on, give me a break. There's no way that this thing that you're shooting out there is doing all these complex maneuvers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like Michael Jordan on a fast break, right? And it's heading to Saturn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I don't doubt these guys that work at NASA are smart. I don't doubt that they can figure out the trajectories and all that. But come on, that's not all going on one after the other way out there. I mean, come on. Let's just it's just unbelievable. It is. It is, man. So tell me about how. Uh, what's your? What's? I was going to ask you. What's your? Uh, what's your preference? What's your definition of heavy metal? Like what? What kind of metal do you do you consider to be like? You know. You know the debate between uh, heavy metal and rock and roll people. Like usually, like there's a there's a limit as to what you know. Like if someone says, "Oh yeah, I like heavy metal. I listen to uh, 
Well, I was trying to think of a good example of who would be like I listen to Nickelback. You know, I mean that's an exaggeration, but you know what I mean. Like, so what what would you consider like the most metal or what's what's your favorite stuff, man? Uh, yeah, that's a really tough question to answer because you know that's uh oh, it looks like somebody's actually calling. Hello. 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 Oh, hey there, Todd. What's going on, Daniel? Not much. Just talking to our guest, SB. Did you want to say hi to him? Hey, SB. Hey, how's it going? Oh, so good. I'm just sitting here listening to your conversation. I was going to let you guys just keep talking and uh, and then try to catch you at the end, but once you got into the flat earth thing, I didn't want to miss that to that topic, so I decided to jump in. Yeah, for sure. A couple of thoughts on that. You know, same, I have the same exact view, SB. It's very interesting. I don't know you. You don't know me, but wow, fuck yeah. number of issues that feel the same way. Yeah, well, I, I feel like uh, I feel like I put in enough time in, like, you know, almost three years of looking at it that, I, that I'm not afraid anymore to, uh, to bring it out. And... Um, and I feel like I've built a confident enough um, repertoire to say, okay, now if people want to confront me, they want to talk about it, you know. Whereas I think there's probably, yeah, there's probably, yeah, there's probably hundreds of us out here that are they're just waiting until they feel like, okay, I've got enough answers now off the top of my head that, um, you know, because I, I saw a question. Of course, of course. Before I ask you or talk about the flat Earth, uh, you know, points. I, I was just thinking as you were talking earlier. Um, how old are you? 42. 42. Yeah. Well, where are you? Where are you from? Oh, I'm in the Pacific Northwest. I'm not too far from Daniel here. Oh, okay. Yeah, you guys are up there. All right. Um, on that, on that flat, uh, not flat Earth, but the moon landing thing. Back in the, like, 1990, there was a, Somebody put out a book, his name is Bill Casing, called We Never Went to the Moon. And it wasn't even a book. It was like photocopied pages they folded over by Bill Casing. And it was all the examples of reasons why this doesn't make any sense. Right. And uh, and and it was in, in 1990, you could buy this like for like $2 at at these conspiracy shows where Bill Cooper was, was going around and I saw him and that's why Bill Cooper's big on this show, by the way, SB. You know, we've talked about him for so many years. Yeah, yeah. I've I've always liked Bill Cooper, man. I, I've I always appreciated and uh and and studied his work. The only the only real criticism well, I ever had of him was the JFK stuff, but other than that I always liked all of his stuff. Well, I, I bought him. Uh, every time he came to my town, I went and seen him and got a signed copy of his "Behold the Pale Horse" and and um, talked to him personally. You know, uh, 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 at the time, he was committed back then to telling you what the hell he'd seen. So that's cool that you you uh, you uh, acknowledge him because uh, yeah, that "Behold the Pale Horse" changed changed the conspiracy scene to a degree because. He talked about things nobody'd ever. You didn't see in book form, even in conspiracy books and stuff. Yeah, I remember. Uh, 
Yeah, go ahead, man. I'm 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 listening. Go ahead. Oh, Carl, Carl, seven 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 came out with Lunar Wave theory yeah. a while back. You know, talked about he caught something. People were believing they caught caught you know evidence that way. Um, and then there was uh, people that started noticing the positions of the moon were changing dramatically from night to night. And so yeah. scientists come out and said, well, the Earth's wobbling. That was the best, you know, excuse I heard. I went out one night and looked at the moon, and it was in one position at 830, and I said, I'm going to calculate where it is tomorrow. Yeah. And I went out the next night, man, it was all the way across the exact same time I'm going. Is this me, or, you know, did the moon just move over freaking 10 feet at the same time? Or you know, one night over. No, that's that's exactly um, what we're finding in that group I was talking about. You know, it's not it's not a well known uh, group. It's not like Globebusters or these guys that are so uh, well known or promoted um, that uh, that we're finding anomalies like that. Like you watch the moon and it it seems consistent, consistent, and then from one night to the next, you're getting like anywhere from ten to thirty degrees jump um from its position yeah. in the sky just in less than um, the time that hours. they're giving us for our clock for our yeah. clock right yeah yeah so maybe so, you could say oh maybe their clock is is not really a celestial clock you know your mind could do that number but on the never going to the moon thing when i seen that book i bought it in 1990 it had pictures of the the astronauts on the moon, you know, just black and white, cheap photocopy images. But it had the moon lander, and it said, we're, we're told the moon is made of dust, you know, the surface, because so many comets and asteroids have been hitting it. It's got four inches, or two feet, four feet of dust. Right. But the moon lander can come down with a fiery rocket and carefully land, but there's not even a crater of dust anywhere around it. And then the astronauts are stepping out for the first time into the four feet of dust, and they just leave a perfect imprint like you might in a desert anywhere in the United States. And, and, then, and then the other thing that they mentioned in that book is, notice how the pictures of the astronauts, they have these fantastic pictures of them up close in their shields, and they're walking there. But yeah, they don't yeah. give you none of the details that you really need to make out if it's real in the background. All you see is the romantic images of us reaching the height. And the most suspicious thing, and this wasn't in the book, this is what I say now, is we went there back then, It was it, they figured it out. We did it so many missions, and we never went back. Yeah, that's since that, 1972. You're like, and they lost huh. all the tele, they lost all the telemetry, and that's their statement, not ours. You know, that people say, "Hey, well, yeah. what about what about all the data? Show us the math and the telemetry." They're like, "Oh, we lost it." Like, really? <laughs> <laughs> there's so many, there's so many anomalies where you go. Well, either either there's these fantastic odds that what they're telling us is true. Or something else is going on. And you can't... That book didn't say the Earth was flat. It just said the astronauts probably didn't go there. We never went there. And I can see our these governments pretending to spend 
all of our money that they really went there and then but they really couldn't get out because there was a lot of tests where they tried to get through the Van Allen belt and they recorded on you know scientists attempting to get astronauts through the radiation belt and then lots of Russian Russian uh, videos were released or yeah, not funny, funny how the Russians they, they brought the Russians back around huh Todd hey um <laughs> yeah they I was, could never I was gonna ask you uh so uh as as far as uh say okay so we got flat earth we were talking about nukes i assume you heard us talking about that too i'm starting to think that that these are markers for when you get to a certain level of uh playing the the game of global chess or the great game or whatever you want to call the world uh the theater the world theater the world at war you know the theater of war or the they call it yeah. real politic I'm th- I'm starting yeah. to think that maybe um, nuclear bombs, a space program, that these are like the same as having a Rolex watch and a five thousand dollars suit. You know, this is what a, a big time world government needs to to if you're going to shill and really fake rip out, us so all off, rip us yeah, all yeah. off. Yeah, they rip us all off. But I think yeah. that it's a marker among each other, like being a part of the Antarctic Treaty, um, having a space program, having nuclear weapons. These are all signs that it's like a wink and a nod. Maybe that's like the big-time secret handshake is to have these That's the great secret big... that they're making a bunch of money behind the scenes, yeah. shaking hands, going, oh, yes, we're rich. Yeah, they're thumbing their nose at us, and it's all a big backroom deal and a laugh. It's a laugh. And then at least, in the case of, <laughs> at least in the case of nuclear weapons, it also gives them a reason to go in and invade countries that they don't like. You know, if they don't like what's going on, they have a reason to go in there. Right, I mean, we're seeing it right now, allegedly, right? With Trump yeah. backing out of the Bony, tree. baloney. They're, they're saying all this stuff. And um, I, I'm really disappointed when I talk to people about nukes that they don't consider that it might be fake more easily because it's such good news if the bombs aren't real. To me, that's like, yeah. I can understand, you know, not wanting to believe the Earth is flat because, geez, that's really hard to swallow, and that sucks. That means we've been lied to in such a phenomenal way that it's like almost impossible to internalize. But if we find out that nuclear bombs aren't actually a real thing, this is terrific news. This means that we can't annihilate one each other. This this, this means we can't just uh, like vaporize whole cities and, and populations off of the map and that we're not going to suffer nuclear winter and all of these kind of things. So it really shocks me to see how deep people are under these uh these uh, magic, these these spellings. I, you know, I the, kind, I kind of understand what you mean, SB. This show's called End of Days Radio, where we sit and hypostulate the end of days from every angle and get every person possible's opinion on that subject. So you're perfect here. And yeah. you, you would think but, that uh, with uh, with nukes, you would think that they would use maybe small ones as fireworks every once in a while to just demonstrate them, maybe at the Olympics or before some major event. Why don't we have some multicolored mini nukes go off up in the atmosphere just to show us their spectacular power? What's up with that? Oh, uh, I agree so totally. Yeah, that, that's that been really suspicious <laughs> to me for a long time. It's like, why don't... Why don't they drop more of them? Why don't? How can we have no demonstrability of of, of these things? You know, where's the where's the proof? Where's the, where's something showing? See, I, don't, I don't I don't want to take up too much of your time. I gotta I gotta get you on the music now because you said so. What kind of music are you guys into? Oh, we love Black Sabbath and heavy metal and the world's gonna end kind of yeah yeah anything really cool. Yeah, yeah. And then well, that's we want to hear all about Black Sabbath and talk all about it with the first one minute. 
Well, I, I had this With article. I, have you have you guys heard this? Uh, check this out, Todd. Okay, so I when when I was prepping for the show with Daniel, I went and um, I went and found this old article here. Let's see if I, I I read through it, so I could probably do it from memory. But yeah, I always do it from memory instead of pulling it up in the browser. So um, it's a, it's like from the seventies, and it's an interview with uh, it's two different interviews actually, and it's uh, it's all documented on one page, one web page. And if you type in like nineteen um, seventies Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, against magic or against Satanism, he talks about how uh, they, how Black Sabbath um, changed their name. I don't know how much you guys know about the history of Black Sabbath, but they used to be called Earth, and they were a blues band. You know, they were kind of like Elvis Presley blues. Yeah, band. yeah I, mean, I know that. I knew that. Right. I knew that. And, yeah. Right. And so they changed their name to from Earth to Black Sabbath because they wanted to copy uh, Vincent Price's strategy of having a, a more horror show, but that they weren't actually. Um, they weren't practicing magicians. They weren't believing in magic, um, and and the, a lot of other bands were like you know Jimmy Page was uh, very much a Crawleyite and a Thelemite and and doing that kind of stuff. And um, so how about, it, how about Coven? Yeah, yeah. I think that I think that band was mentioned specifically in the article. Either that or, or Daniel yeah, mentioned. Their the album artist. was called Black Sabbath, and Ozzy was the guitar player in that band. Oh, okay. See now, I mean, I've I've read. I'm a I'm a I'm a heavy metal singer and a guitar player, and have been. I don't well, really. I'm do a it. singer, but not a guitar player. Yeah. So I do the I, intro for the show. That's why I'm calling in. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I I, I typed in end of na- end of days with Todd, and so I think I'm looking at a picture of you here with your arms folded. Your last name must be Miller. Um, it is. Yeah. <laughs> but uh. Crazy like that. <laughs> so um. No, that's cool. I mean, if this is a show you guys are doing, I'm glad to talk to both of you, of course. But uh, yeah, I was we're trying to expand people's conscience with this. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the reason I'm out here doing it too. Is to not not because I'm trying to be an activist or uh, ring the alarm bell like somebody like Alex Jones, but just just yeah. bring, just bring people more information, give them an opportunity to uh, consider more, more to have a, a more open mind, I guess, or at least consider more points of view. You know. Yeah. But uh, so. Who doesn't love that or couldn't uh, benefit from that? So you guys are more old school metal guys like me. See, I was a '90s metal guy, so like Pantera, Megadeth, Metallica, Sepultura, Alice in Chains. I really loved Alice in Chains, even though I don't consider them truly metal. They were more hard rock grunge, but I, I really loved that's, Lane Staley. You know, that's because you were coming up right there in that period. Daniel's just a hair behind you. Five years behind you, so he missed the Nirvana. He missed Alice in Chains, probably. Uh, yeah, um, my, was, my generation uh, was just 10, just past the the grunge era. Um, I was in junior high school right after Kurt Cobain died. And SB, before uh, Todd came on, you asked me where where would I draw the line between like rock music and heavy metal. And that's a real tough question to answer. I don't really consider like grunge rockers, metal, or even a band really like Led Zeppelin. I wouldn't consider that metal, although some people would say Led Zeppelin is metal music. Uh, it's really hard. I, I think you reach a point where it becomes hard rock instead of metal, and I'm sure you'll have a few bands that are stuck right there in the middle of that too. Yeah, I, I agree totally that I don't think I mean I know people call uh, Led Zeppelin heavy metal, but I can, they're just to me they're just a, a really heavy rock and blues band, you know. Um, I'd say Black Sabbath would be, in my opinion, the very first uh, really popular big time heavy metal band, you know. 
But I would say that... Go ahead, Todd. Go on, Daniel. No, go on, Daniel. Oh, I was just going to say that uh, Led Zeppelin, the only song that I would really definitely say is heavy metal is the song Cashmere. Yeah, Cashmere has a really heavy metal vibe to it. I agree. Um, No, I'll counter both of you on that because... When Led Zeppelin come out with "Want a Whole Lot of Love," they were figuring out that who needs to laugh. They didn't quite have metal down yet, but they were. What it was was there was Britain had like the Tavistock Institute where they were working with using music to to spread an influence, to spread a message. They've always been involved. In the intelligence agencies and changing consciousness and being at the highest levels of cultures in our societies. And so they were doing the Beatles, they were bringing up Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones. The British invasion was, was their, their invasion of our country and the world with the consciousness and the music. They picked the baddest bands and they worked the messages in through the intelligence agencies. Timothy yep. Leary and John Lilly and all those guys in America, they were, uh, you know, products of earlier models, Albus Huxley and, you know, even earlier they were taught, once they discovered LSD and they started experimenting with the drugs and the mind control, they were all into the message of how to change culture because they realized you could change people's consciousness a long time ago. You know, they've been weaponizing what they've learned. Yep, I agree. That's that's what it is. It's all almost all culture is created ahead of us. It's created for us to uh, to affect the way that we act and react in the world. And and so so then you've got you've got us guys, us three guys. We all took the heavy metal uniform, and maybe these guys over here they took the punk rock uniform, and then those guys over there they yeah. took the the outlaw country and western uniform, and then we all think we're individuals, and that we've uh, that we've taken on some kind of a, a personality that we chose. When really all the little badge that makes us feel good, yeah, yeah, and really we I'm just chose identity. one of their outfits, you know. Oh, totally identity for those people that don't know how to find themselves. Yep. That's, Pass out that's badges it. and little uh, clicks to people that never realize you have a self. You you own yourself. That's the thing you own. You own you. A lot of people think they'll never know that. Yep, that's true. <laughs> but, have, um, have, you, have either one of you guys ever heard of uh, communitarianism? Because that's that's one of the main yeah, things. Yeah, that's that, kind of socialist, communist. Like, come on, everybody, let's get hippies. Well, it's similar to that, but uh, I, I try and point it out to people because there's an amazing researcher. Her name's Nikki Rapana, who did a ton of research. She she's really kind of stepped away from it. She kind of got jaded as as you do doing this stuff for a long, long time, and nothing happens, right? You get burnt out. But if you if you take a look at communitarianism versus communism or anything else, there's actually if you type in communitarian law, you'll actually find results in all of the what we call global governance. You know how they're always talking about the new world order and the, the one world government. Well, communitarianism is the one thing that you'll find results um, where, you know, like if you type in new world order laws, you get all kinds of crap, but you don't find like documents, PDFs on the UN's website or on uh, some government, non-governmental organization is, uh, you know, over here they're pre- preaching or professing this or this book or that document, you know, like Agenda 21 is, uh, that's totally, 
communitarianism, man. So if you guys haven't used that specific word in some searches, I'd say toss it in there because you no, I know. get a whole bunch of Me different personally, stuff. Personally, uh, I know all about the Agenda 21, the, the United Nations, the New World Order. It's here. It's wrapped around us. You got 5G coming in soon. Yep, Every there. device is spying and listening to you and sniffing and uh, being fed to giant data centers. Yep. And then no, that's AI. A, a fusion centers. Yeah, the fusion centers. Yeah, so if, you already, right if you're already studying that stuff, no, you, you got to add that. If you're searching for that stuff, you got to add that word in there for fun, man, because you'll find, you'll find, you know, it adds that extra specific layer to your, to your results. And I don't even want to go there because they might visit me because I live right next to the big giant data center. Oh, you live <laughs> the next to the fusion center? In Utah, the biggest one, the newest, most giant. Yeah, it's scary as you drive by it. All right, Todd. Yeah. Uh, Todd, thanks for the call. Oh, yeah. Thanks for the talk call, buddy. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and continue oh, yeah. the interview, interview with SB, you, guys. and I'll, I'll talk to you later, buddy. Sounds good. All right, bye. So, SB, uh, communitarianism is this something that you support? Absolutely not. No, no. I would definitely be taking an anti-communitarian position. I think it's a. It's just another. It's another one of these um, facilitated uh, hoaxes. But the. I'd say the reason I take it so seriously is because, um, unlike you know, you'll hear people say technocracy, right? You hear this this word thrown around a lot when they're talking about um, the way the world is developing with the Internet of Things, with everything having a. You have a smartphone, now you've got a smart washer and dryer, you've got a smart refrigerator, you've got Alexa sitting on your countertop, so you've got all these smart devices, like the cars we drive in now, if you have a new car, you know what I mean. Um, all of that uh, integration, that you hear them call it technocracy, but if you type technocratic law in quote marks into a search, you're not going to get results um, that show an actual legal document or the process of creating technocratic law. If you do the same thing with communitarianism, you will you will find results and you'll you'll get a better lead on the um, what I would call the system of global governance that they're 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 pretty proud of they're creating it and I think I think they're proud enough to say that they're almost done with it the plan if you look at the plan it was always uh, 2020 was the plan to have it mostly implemented and it looks like they're right on schedule unfortunately but I feel like um, if we're stepping away from an old paradigm and into a new one and we can't stop it then at least we can be as well informed as we can get to know what we're, you know, if they're if they're going to just lay a, a blanket, a wet blanket over the top of us, um, we want to know what it's wet with, you know. And that's that's the reason I bring it up to people, not because I think we can go out and fight it. I don't think we can fight it and stop it, but um, I think it's good that people be aware of, uh, of the language and the words that they're using. You know, if they're using their spelling, quote-unquote, against us, then I want to know what that spelling is specifically and not call it Alex Jones's New World Order or the global government or, uh, you know, technocracy. When if you actually look at communitarianism versus those kind of terms, instead of getting spooks and scare tactics and vague answers, instead you get really specific details on how and why Agenda 21 works together with things like international law. Um, you'll you'll start to it'll start to clear everything up and kind of make the puzzle fit together better, you know. So this is uh, directly related to the transhumanist movement. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I would say um, 
there's actually uh, there's there's a there's a set. If I remember, there's a set of transhumanists that specifically call themselves communitarians, like that. You know that that that's part of their ideology, and they actually use that word specifically that they um, that they're trying to create a more communitarian uh, future and to have uh, you know like what do they call it a uh, trans transtopian uh, future, you know. So instead of utopia, it's a transtopia where we kind of meld and become one with the machine, you know. Yeah, you know, I, know. I got on this, uh, I got the VR headset for the PS4, and I don't use it very much lately because it was making me feel a little nauseous, but I swear that's got to be the next level in gaming, computers, whatever. I mean, um, once you try it, there's nothing else like it. It's almost like the first time you ever played Super Mario Brothers or any other video game. I can absolutely see us getting very, very addicted as a species to virtual reality. Yeah, I've I've never tried it. I, I I've uh, well, I've stuck one on my head just one time, real quick, but not any full immersion where I could play a game. You know, just like. I'm sure if you if you have one, you know what I mean. Like you put it on, and there's the little demo display where it's like showing you the inside of a cell or a blood vessel, or you know, you're just looking around, but you're not interacting with the environment. But um, just that, I was so amazed that I can only imagine what it's like if you're uh, if you're racing or you're fighting or you're exploring. And uh, I mean, it sounds it sounds to me like well, like like their plan is like they've got all the all the tools in place to really make it so. So people accept their position and be perfectly happy to, like, you know, just get hella stoned or something and put on your VR, and who cares if you live in a ratty trailer because inside the, the <laughs> helmet it's all beautiful. And that have you have you checked out that movie or that book, um, Ready Player One? Oh, no, I, I, I'm definitely going to check it out when it comes yeah, out on Blu-ray. Me and, me and my girlfriend listen to books when we're on the road, if we're going on a road trip or something. And so we started listening to that. We haven't finished it yet. But it's all about that, about how they're already all the way into the future where everybody has uh, what you call haptic feedback gloves and visors. And so everyone's addicted to um, being inside this place, and it's called the Oasis. And it's just exactly what you're describing. But, you know, the real world is just like shot. It's just a complete um, dystopia. It's just destroyed, you know. And uh, so everybody, like, just dredges through life as much as they can to get enough time and effort to get into the into the VR world, and everything happens. Everyone goes to school in there. And, and so, yeah, I think I don't think they're joking. I think they're serious. They're bringing this, you know. This is, this is going to be the future for our kids and uh, for us if we live that long. Yeah, and you know, you know, SB, I, it's my opinion that the way that they're really going to get the entire human race – hooked and sucked into the machine is by using sex because sex sells better than anything and once you can create that level of an immersive experience i mean all these frustrated guys that you know can't get a date on friday night i don't need to get a date anymore i could just jump in the vr world and, and have have some kind of crazy uh, three-way orgy with a couple playboy playmate supermodels and forget having to actually court a woman or anything like that yeah, the real the real solution to the uh, to the cliche of the incel, right? Everybody gets their VR helmet and their really fancy haptic gloves, and as long as you got your uh, thirty bucks to put the credits in the machine, then you know instead of uh, watching some porn on the the 
internet, you can just have it be full immersion. And uh, it's funny you say that because, uh, you know, the whole blood sports thing, Andy Worski is one of the big guys. I don't know how familiar you are with that whole community. But Andy Worski is one of the big guys, and there's a running joke in all of their little interviews about and he's got a girlfriend, you know, but he's still like uh, he's he's struggling. He's literally struggling, and he, he's a very open and honest guy, maybe to a fault even. Uh, but he he talks about how he had downloaded so much VR porn that uh, <laughs> that he uh, he stepped away from it and did no fap for like a month or for uh, three weeks or something. And um, and now he's back and messing around with it again. And so his uh, his uh, co-hosts and his friends are like picking on him, like, "Oh, Andy's back on the VR porn," you know. And it's all lighthearted and funny. But at the same time, um, once it becomes, you know, you got early adapters, guys like that, the people that are going to be the first ones to buy it, try it, you know. But in the long run, I mean, most most dudes I know, um, some some look at porn a lot, some look at porn. Hardly at all, but almost all of them have done it or definitely, you know, know exactly uh, how to get it if they want it. So if we project that five or ten years into the future, I would say, yeah, that's it's terrifying to think of, um, you know, like oh, like man, I want, I want, you know, like two Asian girls or an Asian girl and a redhead or you know, and you just go do and fancy it up and you got your your fancy uh, headset and then your fancy device that fastens on the other part and here we go <laughs> and and who needs to have a family and who needs to have kids and who needs to have a real girlfriend right yeah and it's it's crazy scary. just yeah. crazy it's scary to me because social skills are something that we have to learn it's something that we learn in school like one of the major reasons people send their kids to public school is so they can pick up on those basic social skills and you're not going to learn them if your face is stuck in your smartphone all day or if you're stuck in VR or even if you're playing other video games. Uh, people are more inclined to text message each other or use FaceTime or do things like that than, you know, go down to a speakeasy and have a drink and actually get to know people face to face. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's probably the the only benefit left in school, in my opinion, is the idea that you get to learn how to socialize because the school system's so wonky and fucked up. I mean, it always was, but now it's worse than it ever was in a way. And so, and now we're not even doing that. Now you see a group of kids walking down the street and um, they're literally all staring at their phones while they're crossing the street. You know, like I, I feel like I've finally become that old grumpy guy. Like, you know, look up from your phone and pay attention. Watch where you're going, you kids, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. Unfortunately, I'm I, I become more and more out of touch. I hear some of these words that they're using, and I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm constantly looking up uh, new words. I try to keep up with it all, but just to get a laugh out of the young people that I know, that, you know, that they're shocked that I understand some of their memes and their weird, you know, like so I'm constantly on Urban Dictionary trying to understand what, you know, what am I seeing on Facebook from my nieces and nephews or all that kind of stuff. It's so funny and strange, you know. Uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, – Metal music encouraging nihilism. How does that work? Um, well, I would say that uh, I'd say that that Black Sabbath is actually probably the exception to the rule. Like, I mean, if you listen to and, and follow the lyrics of Black Sabbath closely, because I was, a, I mean, I really did do a lot of uh, a lot of rock and roll and heavy metal singing when I was younger, and I still perform and play a lot of music. And um, being the the singer. Like, you have to know what they're really saying, you know. It's not like the bass player or the drummer who can just kind of know that the lyrics kind of half-assed, you know, to really know it. And um, Ozzy, for the most part, is um, he's being pretty genuine and honest about struggling with drugs and alcohol and sex in his life. 
and he's, for the most part, singing about being against it, especially back in the Black Sabbath days. But I'd say if you go to something like, like even Alice in Chains, who I love Alice in Chains, um, they're almost more condoning. Now, if you get into the interviews and the minutia of their explanation for why it seems that way is different, but if you just take it on a surface value, like a song like Junkhead by Alice in Chains is, um, is pretty much straight encouraging you to just to get high as hell and not care, you know. It's like bragging about how much hardcore drugs you can do. I mean, the song's actually about heroin. So that's, you know, I'm sure a lot of kids probably were encouraged um, not understanding that that the album or the concept of the album Dirt by Alice in Chains, for example, was, uh, it was like telling you the whole journey of, like, being introduced to drugs and getting hooked on them and being proud and happy to do them and then eventually, like, falling from grace and, you know, in Lane Staley's example, actually literally dying of your drug addiction, you know, not getting out of it. Um, you know, as far as a stark example, he's a great example. And uh, so how many kids were like me listening to that, jiving on it, and were more naive or were more interested to actually take action based on what they were hearing? And so now even beyond nihilism, you've got destruction. But I feel like most really heavy music it's kind of angsty, angry, and with no solution. You know, no, it doesn't offer uh, any kind of uh, encouraging solution. You know, and I'm saying that as a person who still, I still listen to heavy metal sometimes. I still dig on it. I'm not putting it down or trying to be like, everybody burn your CDs or nothing. Or, or you know, or delete your MP3 player, I guess, nowadays. Uh, but uh, it definitely seems like um, it's always kind of, I think that's, I think that's, kind of the nature of all music but metal maybe metal was trying to capture us guys that were more angsty and angry and um allow us to vent that anger but also at the same time to not really do anything with it more than to to be pissed off and then if you get really pissed off and you don't solve the problem then you feel this sense of depression or i don't give a damn you know like oh well whatever and um I feel like that's another step in the process of kind of what they want, you know. I'd say for the pop music, for the girls and the the guys that like the pop music, so it's more like hedonism instead of just straight nihilism, you know. Maybe they still don't care, but it's not like a focus on not, like, most most of the guys I know that were hardcore metalheads literally didn't care, you know. Kind of like your show, the title of your show, like, end of days, like, we're waiting on the end of the world. They're like, when's it coming? Like, we're looking at a watch, right? Like, let's go. We thought it was we thought it was going to be over by now. Where, where is it at? You know. Yeah, I, I get like, kind of annoyed because I'm waiting and waiting. <laughs> <laughs> right, and so I feel like that's something that we probably gained from the social conditioning of our preference for dark, heavy music was that we were like we were promised the end of the world, and and damn it, where is it? We we're still expecting it. You know. Yeah, it does seem like. There was a time period where a lot of the music was very anti-war, very peace and love. And then, just like you say, it seems like the theme kind of changed and it became kind of like, life sucks and it sucks, that's it. Yeah, and or, well, it sucks and then like, okay, so we better like, get high and drink and have sex and not care, you know, so you, you end up with this, uh, this, um, Bacchanalia, this hedonism, you know, I, I see that a lot. That, and so I, I don't know. I feel like uh, have you ever checked out Dave McGowan's work? Um, I, I listened to most of that book. Uh, it's called um, Strange Scenes from the Canyon. 
No. From Laurel Canyon. You never check that out? Oh, yeah, check it out, man. That's all about the hippie movement and how those people are all, um, all of the, the main hippies that you've ever heard of and all the big bands like the Doors and the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and all of them, the Birds and on and on down the list, they're all connected to military intelligence. They're all, um, it looks like they're all, it's all an op, you know. That's pretty much the, the gist of the book. He just goes over and over again like how they're all connected to different murders and suicides. They're all connected to military intelligence. They're all connected to dealing drugs and LSD and cocaine. And it's just crazy. Yeah, Dave McGowan, um, Strange Scenes from the Canyon. If you've never checked that out, man, definitely look it up. Yeah, I'm just very like, I just have a very vague sort of outline understanding of this stuff. I do know that uh, The Grateful Dead gets a lot of these accusations and... I believe the uh, manager for the Grateful Dead was also Courtney Love's father, so that's kind of uh, a connection, a bizarre connection there. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I, that might even be in that book, but yeah, and that the, supposedly that the dead are all um, that they're all masonically connected to is another thing. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but that's uh, that they're all masons, you know, like. To me, when I first found that out, I was like, wow, really? Because yeah, that, that goes hand-in-hand hand with intelligence because those intelligence networks are tied right there hand-in-hand hand with the secret societies. Yeah, it's all, yeah, and the occult, too. That was another thing is, like, all these years of studying, like, heavy metal, and, of course, you start looking at heavy metal, and a lot of them, like, bands like Tool is really, you know, there's a really a, an esoteric and occult quality to a band like Tool. And then you look into it closer, and it's like, intelligence agencies and the occult have been tied to each other like forever, like all the way back to John D and Queen Elizabeth the first. And so it's like the alchemists and the magicians all like changed their robes from uh big wizard clothes, clothes like the, in your picture here, you know, you got the, the sun, moon and stars curtain behind you. Like they all used to dress like that. And so then instead they all go put on their three piece suit or nowadays their lab coat. But really, they're still just uh, they're still just magicians. They're magicians uh, casting spells and working uh, ritual magic to influence and create some kind of a society around us and manage us. One thing that bothers me a little bit, being a fan of rock music, heavy metal, et cetera, et cetera, it just ever since probably the MP3 started coming out, it really feels like rock and heavy metal has died off quite a bit most of what you see it's not even really rap music anymore at this point it seems that seems like all that's left is pop music uh do you feel there's any rock music or rock bands that are still relevant and how do you see the future going for rock and metal music yeah i I really i i've tried a few times to dig into it but i i'm uh, i don't really adopt any new musical taste the only band i could say that i've really uh taken up that's new is a you call it black grass have you ever heard of uh the devil makes three is what they're called no but sounds interesting it is man it's like it's still it's still like a traditional bluegrass band you know they play with an upright bass there's a girl who plays upright bass and they play acoustic guitar and banjo and usually they have a fiddle player and when i saw them live they had a drummer but um in a lot of the recordings there's no drummer and uh so it's um it's like really still dark almost heavy metal ish lyrics, but then the music is kind of like upbeat bluegrass only it's still in minor keys and kind of dark so it's kind of almost like a cross between heavy metal and bluegrass but it's not aggressive like metal you know it's not like Megadeth or Metallica or, or anything like that you know 
Did you say at the beginning that you were a guitar player? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a guitar player. Uh, what what type of a guitar do you play? Um, well, right now I mostly just play the acoustic guitar. I've got like a pretty nice uh, older uh, '70s Yamaha that I play, and I do have a nice Martin and Company uh, acoustic guitar, um, like a, a that's it's called a Double Lot. Uh, let's see, Double Lot 16, and uh, that's like a dark uh, mahogany or pardon me, walnut. It's a dark walnut cover guitar. Um, we uh, when I was I had a, a pretty fun uh, three piece band that we played in. It was called um, RX Only Panacea. That's why my new variety show is called RX Only Picture Show. Um, you know, if anybody wants to check it out, that's what's on my YouTube every Wednesday is RX Only Picture Show, and that's us just being like doing all kinds of goofy stuff. But the band before that, RX Only Panacea, was like a three piece progressive rock and roll band, and we um, we kind of combined the heavy metal and all the more grungy stuff and then like we got pretty obsessed with the red hot chili peppers and especially um with john frusciante and so that's why i bought that uh that that other acoustic more expensive martin guitar because um i was copying john frusciante's style and uh you know how it is you get obsessed with something and you start to integrate it into your thing and we all did that as a band we became completely obsessed with um john frusciante i still love it that's that's one of the main things i'll put on if i'm just gonna you know like i feel you know, to to kind of bring it full circle back to what we've been talking about, I feel like uh, like kids today, not only are they missing out on the similar kind of music um, experience that we had when we were younger, and I guess I'm just a little bit older than you, but still, I'd say that you're still in the same era enough that we listen to whole albums. You know, you would yeah. a whole album, and, um, and you would dig on that album, and maybe you'd listen to that album over and over. Like, I had... That, that album I was talking about, um, Alice in Chains' Dirt, I had it in my CD player for a year straight and almost never took it out because that was my gig, you know. I'd get stoned and just sit there and listen to Dirt. If I had to clean up my kitchen or do homework or whatever, when I was in college, I would just listen to Alice in Chains' Dirt over and over again. And I feel like it's gone back to like a singles market like back in the days of 45s where everybody listens to single tracks or just A, B sides. It's not really A, B sides, you know. It's, it's MP3s uh, off the Internet. But it's, you know, there's lots of singles and almost no whole albums. So have I've, you uh, have you tried any psychedelic drugs? I have, man. I have. I don't. I don't advocate it or do it anymore. I think that that's a, another part of the whole conditioning and another part of the magic spell. If you've never checked out Jan Irvin's uh, research over at, at Gnostic Media, he's got a lot of information about all of the counterculture, the hallucinogens. He wrote an amazing article called. Um, uh, entheogens, what's in a name? And um, he he does a it's really well cited and it's good research. Now I I have other problems with Jan Irvin as a researcher too. I, I like he's he's kind of an annoying individual and I have a hard time with him. You know I really do. And lots of people do. And he kind of has a reputation of uh, of making friendships with people and having them as guests and then burning bridges. So that makes you suspicious. But um you know I'm not ready to or willing to call nobody an agent or anything. That's just such a cliche yeah you know i don't i don't think he's an agent i have had one experience with yawn i invited him on the show and he he got very angry at me and said that i was a disinformation agent and this and that but you know i, I don't take it really personally i just kind of laugh about it and, and tell no, no, people that yeah, story a, he does that to everybody he thinks that he thinks every person he's ever called an agent is somebody that he's exposed and i think uh i think he's just kind of a. Uh, 
I think they've kind of duped him, and I hate to say that, but I, I try and have sympathy on Jan, even though I can't really enjoy his content like I used to, but I got so much from him, and I learned about so many people through him that I, I would never disrespect him. But uh, at the same at the same time, um, like I feel like we're witnessing what happens when they try and manage to control someone that's trying to tell the truth. Like he was totally advocating for... Um, he was a he's a mycologist and studying the mushroom and he was promoting uh, the works of uh, the man whoever the the holy mushroom and the cross and um, and then in his research he started to stumble onto a lot of these guys were intelligence connected and then the more he looked the more all of them were it looked like to him and so he started to rechange the focus of his research and then they all turned against him and uh, so then you have like you create like this paranoid and knee-jerk and emotional reaction from someone because they thought they were headed down a certain path, and it was a path that looked like it was going to be a path towards pretty big success, probably. And then he reversed his position 180 degrees, called all these guys out. They all turn around and, as a group, kind of um, in one voice attack him. And I think what we're seeing is kind of like the long-term damage that now everybody's an agent because when he – thought it was going good and it turns out it wasn't and he actually called everybody on their bullshit then he like I don't think Jan Irvin ever truly recovered from that it's unfortunate you know, so that's you know yeah and it's not to take anything away from uh, the things that he is pointing out because in my opinion even though I might not be a disinfo guy and you might not be and all, most of the other people he's accusing aren't uh, some of them are <laughs> No, absolutely, yeah, and that's. I think he definitely um, discovered and exposed quite a few very serious high-level agents. Um, you know, like just the the work just on um, between Aldous Huxley and the whole Huxley family, and uh, who's the other one main guy, Timothy Leary, all that stuff. I mean, that's huge, you know. And I, I'm not saying that he gets 100% credit either. I'm sure other people were involved, and other people have, have uh, added to that research, but. Um, at the same time, I don't, you know, it's so many people, it's like, it's like a, it's a common thing to do to just throw Jan Irvin under the bus. And it's really easy to see why, because he, he, I feel like he's, uh, he knee-jerk reactions for him. So he becomes a, 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 what they call a lol cow nowadays, right? That's what they say. You, you heard that term? No, that's funny though. Okay, so that's like a common thing. Like if you find somebody that'll always spurg out and they always get mad and they always overreact and they always act stupid then um, all the people that want to get a laugh, they'll go antagonize that person so that they can get the, the lulls off of him, and they call him a lull cow, you know. And so I, I hate to say it, but I think that I, – I don't think people are necessarily trying to get a laugh, but I think that they are intentionally aggravating Jan Irvin to, to watch him react and to keep him off kilter, whether it's as agents or just as people being, you know, people don't get along well in general. You know, you give them the Internet as a – a mask of anonymity, and then they act all the worse. <laughs> SB, what do you think of this? We know that you are a researcher of Flat Earth, but what do you think of this topic? And it's one of the most popular UFO conspiracy topics. I'm talking about the reptilian aliens. Do you have any opinions, thoughts? Do you believe in them? Well, I, I, I definitely do have an opinion on that. And what I think it is, and I'm sure you've heard this before if, if you study the alien stuff, I think that, um, that all of that is allegory for the reptilian mind. And I think it's very real that we have something um, like what you would call a reptilian mind. 
Um, and so I don't, I don't think that it's like the old television show V. I don't know if you ever watched that. I'm a little older than you, but I mean, it was oh, like yeah, they I'm, were I'm li- familiar. Yeah. Yeah. So they were literally uh, like reptiles, right? And that's, I think that David Icke, uh, or David Icke, uh, was probably, um, it seemed to me like he was someone who was trying to come out and speak the truth and they co-opted him and told him, well, you, we'll still keep you out here and we'll co-opt you as an agent or, you know, we're not, we're not going to just shut you down, but we want you to modify your message a little bit. That was in, so I think you could probably credit most of the, the literal alien stuff a lot to his influence and his work. But I think it's, it's really, it's an accurate allegory for the idea of, um, of the reptilian mind. And I do think I lean more towards the, I'm definitely a Christian, but, um, almost more like a esoteric Christian or a Gnostic. You know, and when I say Gnostic, I don't mean the full inversion Gnostic where, you know, Jesus is the devil and all that. I just mean, uh, I definitely believe that the extra canonical books and books like the Book of Enoch and um, the Gospel of Thomas and these kinds of things. Um, I know you just uh, interviewed Jan, I mean, uh, Miguel Connor from uh, Aeon Byte. So I know you know what I'm talking about. You know, I'm kind of more in, in those guys' camp. Well, while still being very wary of the mysticism and the, the magical side of it. It's not that I don't believe in magic, but I do think it's a, a, a duping kind of new-agey tool that they use against us. But um, I'd say it's more likely that uh, it's something like Archons is... Uh, if, if there's something beyond um, heartless, evil men in the world that are influencing us and trying to manage and control us, that it's something more like that. It's um, It's... Fallen angels, demons, archons, something more in that category. And using all of those words just as a, as, as a placeholder for whatever you want to think of that as, you know. It's, to me, it's, it's hard to, to articulate any of this stuff into language because it's not so simple as to say, well, it's a demon, well, it's an alien. That, that's a, it, it, it's way more nuanced, especially if you start reading it and studying it, than to just slap a title on it. Like I've seen, I've seen very strange lights and, and things in the sky, and I have friends who have definitely seen like really severe examples of uh, what they would definitely call a UFO. You know, I've just seen anomalies in the sky, but they like I have friends that have seen like the the, the thing come down and hang out over them and uh, like kind of follow them around and then bug out and then like come back a week later or a few days later. And I don't think they're lying. The way that they present their story when they're talking to me is like. It's like shell shock. They're 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 horrified that that they you know they're like afraid to talk about it at all, you know. And so there's something something's going on there. It's not fake. I don't think it's all um, intelligence apparatus and and just fancy technology. I think it's a combination of all those things. I think there's really something metaphysical or supernatural, and at the same time you've got people with high. Uh, secret technology that are also mimicking, mocking, or even working in uh, cahoots with that, who knows, right? Do you feel that some of this flat earth stuff, could this be some kind of demonic deception? Um... I think I think the demonic deception is probably more that, uh, that they had us believing in a globe. Um, but I think that, I, okay, so back to the idea of communitarianism, the main thing that they're using that, that, that drives people towards uh, 
helping their plan succeed is this whole um, Hegelian dialectic project reaction or problem reaction solution process, right? You know, all of us conspiracy guys, we all know about that, you know, that they, they're trying to, to divide and polarize us and then um, offer us a solution that allows us to say, okay, well, we, we're, we're unhappy with where we were and that looks good, so we'll take it. I think um, the, the flat earth is a way to do that so that it pushes people back towards religion or spirituality because you see it, for one thing, it's promoted that way, like especially the people who are against it. They say it's all Christian nonsense or it's all, you know, it's just it's just a resurgence in ignorant Bible believers. But if you're actually a flat earther or, or even if you're just an open-minded person willing to study flat earth, when you get out there and get amongst the people who are looking at it and who believe it, they're not they're not all uniformly Christians by any means. There's lots and lots of them that are actually vehemently against any type of religion. They may believe in spirituality or uh, something, you know, they're, they're not necessarily atheistic or um, evolutionary minded, but they're definitely, it's not, it's not the way it's portrayed, but I think they're, they're trying to manufacture a metaphysical or spiritual awakening in people by bringing the realization back to their mind that the realm is small and focused. And if that's the case, if there's no huge expanse of empty space with galaxies and, and billions and billions of light years, and it's actually just one localized small place and we can't identify anything else, then it triggers something like a God response, the thought of something like God or a creator or, you know, or even if it's uh, pantheism, it, it triggers that idea that, okay, well, maybe we are more like a Petri dish or something that's being watched, that something that's been designed. And so then it, uh, it like, puts a false start on the, the spiritual reawakening process. I think that's a big part of what Flat Earth is doing. How about the uh, edge of the Flat Earth? Do you believe that it, we're surrounded by the ice wall? No, I don't, I don't think it's an ice wall. I think there probably is an actual, um, an actual edge. And, uh, you know, the, the stuff that we found in our group is hard to articulate, especially without using um, graphics or pictures. But um, if you've seen these pictures, Daniel, of, uh, say, um, Mount Fuji or where you are, Mount Rainier, um, sometimes the sun sets and Mount Rainier casts a shadow, a huge triangle on the ground, you know. So I think that's potentially um, the, the sun literally passing down past the edge so that the sun itself is, is lower than the mountain, you know, and um, so it's the the model that we've kind of uh, mocked up and come up with, uh, the, the main man that, that came up with it was studying the Book of Enoch, and he noticed the correlation um, directly between what's described in the Book of Enoch and the movements of the moon, specifically, and uh, in combination with that, it, it really looks like it's probably a square with edges um, east and west, and uh, north and south, um, like there's there's ice and cold, but still land and animals in the north and in the south. Definitely like way colder, but not a big Antarctic ice wall. No, I don't. If you look up Ethiopian Enoch flat Earth, if anybody's out there listening or interested, or if you want to check it out, uh, I saw that your uh, page is on Facebook. I don't know if you're on Facebook too as like a regular account, but if you want, man, I can toss you in the group so you can see, you know, get hands on and check out some of the research and some of the. Um, some of the memes, so to speak. There's a lot of a lot of memes that um, picture pictures worth a thousand words, you know. How about this idea that there's actually other 
little lily pads or little civilizations or communities that are uh, beyond what we think of as the boundary of our world, if it just is flat and it goes on and on. Yeah, um, I've, I, I don't, I don't think that that's uh, the case either. I do think that there's hidden land here. I think there's probably a hidden continent or something like uh, that. That's maybe, maybe there's an elite uh, group of what we would call the bad guys um, who uh, they're above all of the people that we would identify as leading the conspiracy. You know how it is. They always say, you know, is it the Jews? Is it the Jesuits? Is it the Catholic Church? Is it the Templars? Is it the et cetera, et cetera? Right? There's always this. Uh, this shell game of who's at the top. And uh, my personal opinion is that there probably is a group that's at the top. They probably are not identified to us by any uh, name or knowledge. We don't have any real knowledge of them and that they probably are hidden somewhere on a landmass that uh, like a, a seventh continent or something. So like Lemuria or Atlantis or something is probably, you know, it's in so many writings like, it's in Ayn Rand, you know, that's what they're doing. They're running away to hide on an island that's kind of got a cloak or a force field over it so you can't find it. I mean, you see this, uh, I don't know if you watch anime, but uh, my girlfriend's been watching One Piece. You know what that show is? Oh, I love One Piece. Yeah, so One Piece, the same thing, right? Like, they go and go and go, and they end up at a secret city that's hidden in the sky, right? Um, and you see this theme over and over again. So I think that that's Yeah, yeah, game. I remember that. I remember that yeah. story arc. That was a good one. Yeah, that's a, that's an amazing cartoon, man. It's it's. I'm sure people glance at it and they think, oh, look, like it's kid stuff, and it's not. It's a great, really well written, and it's full of occult and esoteric symbolism and uh, and deep meaning. Like if you study all the Gnosticism and ancient texts and all of these uh, these old magical stories and mythology, and then watch One Piece, then you're like, it's not it's not for little kids at all, man. It's it's deep, you know. Yeah, I absolutely love it. It's my understanding that it's actually become uh, the, the number one anime manga of all time. It's passed up Dragon Ball. And that doesn't surprise me because it's uh, I'm sure that's probably, you know, later on tonight when we're relaxing because that's what I'll be looking at my phone and hanging out on Twitter or drawing a picture uh, using my digital apps or whatever. And my girlfriend's always rolling um, through episodes of One Piece. That's what we do, man. So, so I don't, <laughs> Nice. No, I, I, I kind of just, I don't really watch it carefully, but I still, you know, I still pick it all up. I, I enjoy it. She's always like, is this okay? Because I'm not really an anime guy. You know, I'm, I'm familiar with it, but she, she digs on it. So. Yeah, I've got this uh, app called Crunchyroll, and you get tons of anime. And you can just watch it on your phone anywhere. Yeah, I think she's got something similar like that. It's not Crunchyroll, but yeah, the same thing. Because I, I mean, there was this one, uh, the Magus. Like, it was this dude who went and, like, bought a really young girl as a slave, and he, like, has pretty much, like, a Baphomet head, and, uh, oh, I can't remember what it's oh, called. Oh, the, the Magus Bride or something like that. Yeah, I think yeah, I the Magus Bride. I watched a few episodes of that, and I was like, holy crap, that's like putting the straight, darkest ritual magic, like, straight in your face, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. Was, uh, I mean, it was hiding nothing, because, like, that's right back into the whole... Um, you know, blood sacrifice, uh, child uh, molestation, all that stuff that, you know, any of us that look at Pizzagate and before that, Franklin cover up, all that stuff, you know, they're bringing it out hardcore nowadays, trying to get people to, I think that's another fear tactic, but I also don't doubt at all that they're actually participating in that stuff, unfortunately. You know, I think it's very real. I think they've always um, always uh, used blood and human sacrifice. All history of sacrifice has always involved blood. And so I don't doubt for a minute that they're um, 
fulfilling their horrible desires um, in the worst possible ways and also performing magic with the blood of innocent people. I, I think that's all real. I think they also exaggerate it and they parallel the story and make it seem like ooga booga, just like everything else. But I also think that there's there, there's an underlying reality there that, once again, I'd, I'd prefer not know. You know, I don't want to know what the details are, you know. Are you uh, really drinking baby blood or something? I don't want to. I don't want the bottom line details. That's, that's just. <laughs> <laughs> SV, are you a pretty big Metallica fan? I was, man. I, I was a Metallica fan until I saw them live in concert, and they uh, they were pretty sucky and they were pretty annoying. And after that, I just couldn't really dig on them. I'll still toss on um, anything with Cliff Burton. Uh, I don't really dig Kill 'Em All that much, but you like, I, I'd say Master Puppets. Um, Ride the Lightning, and uh, I could still dig on uh, and Justice for All, but um, after that, like we we played songs off the Black Album and stuff when we were in, in high school. But um, even at Justice for All, man, I could ruin at Justice for All for all your listeners, all you Metallica fans out there. Just uh, listen to how much louder the snare drum is than everything else in the whole album, and it'll just ruin it for you. <laughs> <laughs> Things are a little out of balance. It is. Like, if you go back and listen to Injustice for All, the snare drum, like, for one thing, the bass guitar is not there at all. They were still so upset that they lost Cliff Burton. They hired Jason Newstead and brought him in there, but then they mixed the bass in so poorly, and um, I think they, they were butthurt. They, like, didn't want to give Cliff's spot up to this kid, and so James Hetfield's guitar completely washes the bass guitar out, so you can't really hear it in the album at all. And then the snare drum is, like, way too loud. So if you go listen to it with headphones on and you think of it that way, then all you hear is just tat, 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 tat. You know, you can just hear Lars' snare drum and it's just annoying. <laughs> How about the Black Album? Did you like that one? The Black Album wasn't bad. I mean, I'd say that's where Metallica jumped the shark, right? After that, I never really listened to any other stuff after that. Yeah, that was kind of going to be my question for you, if you thought that they jumped the shark after the Black Album or if you still yeah. respect them. No, I... I even even before the Black Album, I was having a really hard time. I saw Metallica on that tour for the Black Album, and um, like Kurt Hammett had like a pink scrunchie in his hair, and they just weren't very tight and good on stage. They were like cocky and arrogant, and they their fans all sucked. <laughs> like that really, I mean, that was it sucked because I was trying to have a good time. We saw them there where you're at in Seattle. They're um, fans. They suck. Their fans <laughs> sucked, man. It was like they were all singing along flat and terrible, and like they they didn't know how to. They had bad pit etiquette. I'll tell you a funny ass story though, man. This is one of the craziest things that's ever happened to me at a concert. I was at that Metallica concert, and there's this kid in front of me, and uh, he's smaller than me, younger than me, and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, "I'm blind! I'm blind! Get me into the pit! I'm blind! I'm blind!" get me to the pit, get me to the pit. So, you know, being a true heavy metal compadre, I just rushed over on the, to the guy and grabbed him by the back of his shirt and his arm and shoved him right into the middle of the mosh pit. And so he fell and kind of turned towards me, and he was blind. Like, you can see his eyes were completely blind. I thought he was just exaggerating. Or oh, my like, God. I was like, oh, my God, I just shoved a blind man. Like, that's what he was begging for. He wanted to be in the pit. I was like, well, there you go, brother. Oh, my God. You know, I mean, at that same time, I was like, oh, crap. You know, like that shocking feeling of, like, he's really blind. I just shoved a blind guy into the mosh. But he was happy. He, like, stuck his hand up. His face was all elated, but his eyes were blind. I was like, oh, my God, dude. Oh, my God. 
I take it he lived. I just I remember thinking like I should go in there after him, but he was happy, and he I was like, well, I guess you know how to be blind, not me. (laughs) Oh my god! Uh, Another, uh, you know, you mentioned Pantera earlier, and that is another story that is just so tragic. Oh yeah, that I still miss Dimebag Daryl to this day, man. I. That was probably my favorite metal, true heavy metal band. We saw we saw Pantera at least four or five times live in concert, following them around to different venues and stuff over the years. And I used to just uh, I used to just stalk Dimebag in the pit just to watch this, stand close enough to the rail as I could get. You know, I'm not a very tall guy, so I could never get right up on the rail very easily without getting clobbered because you know there's monsters up there, man. Guys that are six five get up on the rail, you can't you can't really steal their spot very easily. But um, I could get two or three back, and I'd stand there and just scream at Dime and watch him play leads and watch his energy level. And uh, sometimes I wonder if that's not another conspiracy, because Pantera had a huge, huge influence over the minds of children um, our age, at that, you know, that teenage angsty phase. And um, they debuted at number one, knocking, I think they knocked Michael Jackson off of the number one spot, with um, not with Vogue Display of Power, but the next album, uh, Far Beyond Driven, and that was all just by them touring and promoting their music without any press and without any radio play. So I always thought that was like, I wonder if the powers that be kind of accidentally created a Frankenstein with uh, Pantera, and then afterwards they saw Dime get away from the band and kind of start over again on his own. I wonder sometimes if they didn't MK Ultra that dude that killed him. And, and send him in there to do that using uh, mind control. I've always I've always been suspicious of that. Uh, yeah, that's such a that's funky, a good weird point. thing to do, man. Yeah, he was just some like weirdo that would walk around town with some headphones on and just walk around like a zombie. So I could totally see that being possible. Did you ever look closer into it? Like he claimed that he had written all the lyrics and that Phil had ripped him off, and um, he uh, he was an ex marine and. Um, and and so then when Pantera broke up, uh, he took it personally. Like, he was already mad because in his paranoid thinking, Phil and Salmo had um, stolen all the lyrics he'd written and was using them. And then so then when the band broke up, he, he felt like uh, he'd been disrespected even all the more. And um, then he supposedly went and jumped the fence and, uh, and murdered Dime and those other people. And so I always thought the whole thing was just like, it's like straight out of a Manchurian candidate, you know? Yeah, there's definitely that possibility there. I would love for um, some links to come up or something like that, but um, who's really to say maybe he was just a obsessed stalker or um, maybe there is something like that going on. Anybody that was in the military, you have to ask that question. Uh, they At some point, they could have gotten, like you said, MK Ultra. Yeah, and I've always, uh, you know, to me it's it's like they, I would say they definitely had had motive because um, of all the people in that band between Phil and Sommel and Dimebag, those were the two guys that had huge influence over their fan base, and it was power, man. I mean, I I saw um, I saw them one time when we went and saw Pantera, dude. They uh, they turned on um, War Pigs by by Black Sabbath. And um, they killed the lights, and they played the whole song War Pigs. And uh, the the crowd started to get so crazy before the curtain even dropped and the band came out that they turned the house lights back on and put on, like, 
70s soft rock for like 20 minutes. Because I think the promoters and the, whoever was in charge of the venue, just just the energy that was building up in that stadium um, for Pantera to come on stage, I think it scared them. And then uh, Pantera came out, and um, they were, like, calling people down out of the cheap seats onto the floor. And, like, the uh, security and the, the stage managers were waving them off. But, like, Phil was drinking on stage, and, like, he threw up a little bit on his shoes, and he was, like... He's saying uh, that, that he, I remember him saying on the mic, uh, they're mad at us because we condone too much. We condone too much. I remember Phil and Zomo saying that, but they were calling, like Vinnie Paul stood up from his drum set and waved his arms really high in the air, like to the people in the cheap seats to come down into the pit. Well, I mean, you know, you can't do that. That's not your, there's a, there's a, a number of people that are allowed to be on the floor and a number of people that have to be in the seats that they bought. So if you do that, then you're putting, creating a fire hazard and a security hazard. And then Pantera had also the reputation of letting um, letting their fans uh, break the barrier and, and kick it on stage with them. Once they got bigger, they couldn't really do that. But if you look at their old uh, tour videos and stuff, um, when they were somewhat smaller, and I'm talking like more display of power days and smaller venues, um, the, the crowd would just overflow onto the stage and the band wouldn't stop playing. They just like, kind of manage people away from their gear and tell them, get on the mic and tell them, fill it, tell them, don't fuck up our gear and be cool. And, uh, and we're all good. You guys can party with us, you know? And so that's, that's like controlled managed anarchy, you know? So I, I, I've always thought, you know, Pantera had something special that, um, I think if anything, at least the powers that be had their eye on them and were very aware of the idea that these guys, uh, you know, that, that they weren't like Days of the New or something. They weren't like uh, Skid Row. They toured with Skid Row, but they weren't, you know, they weren't prima donna, mamby pamby. They were hardcore, and their fans loved them. We loved them, man. We used to follow those guys around. Had so much fun. Um, one thing I didn't ask you about was, what is a heavy metal magician? Oh, that's just I, I wrote that to you because uh, that's what I used to always tell people instead of saying. Uh, musician and so that's probably to, to play heavy metal and rock and roll music is probably as close as i ever came to to any kind of what i would call magical practice you know because we you know we we had our our bands more you know a number of different bands and when you get it right and you get a group clicked up and gelled up and well rehearsed and uh, you write songs and you have your cover songs and you put on a show and you've got all the stage lighting and you've got somebody running it and everything comes off perfectly, it really is like a big magic show, you know. And at the end of it, everybody feels like this elated hurrah, like this, you know, like you go, everybody goes parties together afterwards and like you just feel euphoric. Like, there's no high that I've ever felt that's anything like having a really awesome gig in a small venue with two or three hundred people or whatever. And so that's all I really meant is that we were, you know, we were rock and roll magicians. You know, we, we, we had a good time. You know. Is it true that the music industry is satanic? Um, I, I think so. I, I think that uh, and I was, uh, one of the... One of the guys that hangs around in the blood sports community has sent me a link. Um, it was actually earlier today, I think. His name's Lord Byron on Twitter. And um, it was a link all about, like, um, uh, I think it was, uh, who's the guy? Heath Ledger talking about his uh, role as the Joker. And then, then it was, um, it showed a clip real quick of Bob Dylan. And um, the interviewer was asking him, why are you still out here when you're so old? And he said, well, I got to fulfill my contract. And he's like, well, with contract with who? And he's like, 
well, you know, the the lead general in charge of this world, you know, and other and and the invisible world, and so many similar things. You've got all these uh, multi personality disordered uh, people that say they have an alter ego, like Beyonce, and it's all in the in the heavy metal and the rock and roll. I mean, it really it used to be only in the heavy metal and the rock and roll. Like a, a, ACDC was his name. Angus Young would say that. Um, he was possessed by devils when he was playing the lead guitar, and that's why he would fall on the ground and spaz out. And um, John Frusciante of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, the same thing, he said that he would hear the voices of angels and demons arguing in his head. And if you read a lot of interviews and listen to a lot of interviews with uh, rock and roll guitarists and musicians, you hear this over and over and over again. And then if you get really deeper into it, you get into guys like, uh, you know, Slayer's obviously the most, obvious example of people that you know is just going to be outwardly satanic but you can go right past slayer to bands like uh deicide and i'm talking about my era there's even more of them now deicide what was the other one morbid angel i remember listening checking out some morbid angel tracks and i couldn't hang i'm like no i'm not a devil worshiper you know i'm not going to listen to music that's openly um praying to and paying homage to lucifer you know so, I mean, some of it definitely is just outright. But then I'd say you get the flip side of that with confusion, people thinking that Ozzy Osbourne and Black Sabbath is definitely, quote-unquote, devil music, when really if you go read the lyrics and listen to it, they're, like, struggling with regular issues. And a lot of the time, Ozzy's um, actually singing, like, as if he's a Christian, you know. And as far as I know, he claims to be a born-again Christian. Yeah, I do remember his- reading that I'm pretty sure that most of the members of the band, if not all of them, are actually Christians. Yeah, so that's so. It's, I'd say it's very convoluted and hard to understand. But as far as I think, uh, back to what we first talked about it being um, culture creation and them bringing, uh, like, establishing a theater or a set or a, a set of boundaries and rules for us to work inside of. I'd say in that regard. It's definitely something like satanic, luciferian, or left-handed path. The same as what that uh, guy Gregory, uh, I can't think of his, Gregory Lessing Garrett, that's his name. You know, he's kind of on the same tip, you know. Me, him and I, um, our research, uh, it, it trucks right up to each other in a lot of places that um, it's like you're, you're not being told, hey, come over here, we're going to teach you how to worship the devil. You're being told this is cool or this is angsty or this is fun or there's a benefit to this. But then you're also subconsciously or passive aggressively being encouraged to do things that maybe you wouldn't have done had you not found that, right? You know, if we'd have all just stayed good Catholics or good Protestants, maybe we'd have never um, taken steps in in all these directions. Now, I'm not saying that that's a good that would be a necessarily a good thing either. I think they've they've uh, hyper managed all of that so that it's it's like lose lose. Do you have any thoughts on Guns N' Roses? Yeah, I I, uh, I really enjoyed Guns N' Roses when I was like in junior high school. But the the more it's kind of the same as Metallica. Like the more uh, the more I grew up and the more they changed, the more I absolutely just hated Axl Rose and all of his uh, prima donna hijinks and like wanting the ego stage and diving in the crowd to fight fans and like <laughs> like. Like, who wants that, right? Yeah, I just laughed when you said that because I I watched that video not that long ago, and I I just, 
one of the craziest things that's ever happened. I mean, the front man of a band flying through the air like Superman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how insecure do you have to be when you're the front man? I mean, you're 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 the king of the kingdom, and you're gonna dive over the rail into the crowd because someone's taking a photograph of you. I, I just can't fathom, man. Yeah, he he's saying uh, he's yelling at the crowd, yelling at everybody, saying, "Take that guy down, take him down." You know what? Forget you guys. I'm gonna do it. I know. Like, well, I mean, that's. Like, to me, that's horrible enough. Like, just me at a karaoke bar, I have so much power in my hand with just a microphone because I can sing, bro. I mean, you, you can go look me up on the – if you go look up Art's Only Panacea 7 on Reverb Nation, our tracks are still up there, and, you know, and I'll send you some stuff if you want. I'm not bragging. I mean, I've just been doing this forever. I can sing. So the power that comes with having a microphone in your hand, I can't imagine 40,000, 20,000 people, and you're going to sick them on somebody? No way, man. Somebody might die. They're gonna. They worship you already. They're already thinking of you as like the preeminent thing. You're the big, awesome dude. You're like, get that guy for me. That's really dangerous. Oh, that just. You want to hear another rock and roll story, man? Being at a concert. You want to hear something funny? Sure. All right. So, so me and my mom used to go to concerts together, and we went and saw uh, Poison open up for Tesla, right? So, um, you know, so these are like total hair band, butt rock hair bands, right? And uh, so um, Poison, you know, they're most famous for that song, Every Rose Has Its Thorn. And they, you know, they kind of have their long makeup-y, uh, lots of makeup, lots of hairspray. And uh, Brett Michaels is the singer for Poison. And he had this uh, black acoustic guitar with a big blue rose embellished in it and and that was his guitar from the music video for the song every rose has its thorn and that was like the song right that was the big song the big ballad the big rock ballad that get all the girls uh horny and, and everybody loved and so he comes out in sacramento and he's strumming the guitar and he's kind of like overextending the intro and he's getting ready to start singing and right as he uh opens up his mouth to start singing the first line of the song, somebody in the crowd threw a tennis shoe and hit the microphone perfectly. Like, right on the, it just smashed him hard in the teeth with the microphone, and it was really funny, dude. It was like, he oh started screaming. God. He did the same thing. Like, it was really, the funny thing is, is that, you know, Sacramento is a pretty hardcore city. That's where I grew up. And uh, so, like, he got all mad, and he stomped back and forth, and he's screaming and yelling on the mic, and like, who did that? And I'm going to kick your ass, and I'm going to come down there. And he got to the edge of the stage. He's like, I'm going to come down there. And the crowd was just like, yeah, come down here. And he, like, changed his mind. Stomp back and forth. He went to the edge of the stage. Horrible crowd with faces. He changed Oh, unfortunately, our audio has broken up. SB, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, yeah, we lost our audio connection for a second there. Uh, I did want to ask you, uh, can you hear me okay? I can hear you just fine, man. Uh, who, in your opinion, who killed Kurt Cobain? Boy, that's a good question. The The most recent thing I saw that was interesting is that some people think that it's actually just a hoax altogether. You know, I know that the common thing is to, the, the canard is to say that, that Courtney Love did it, and I always thought that he actually really killed himself, if anything. Um, but then the more you look into it, it's kind of the same. You know, it seems like we come in, keep coming around the same the cor- same corner, right? Like, you want to believe, like, well, he really just killed himself, right? And then you look at it, and it's like, oh, no, nah. 
there's a lot of suspicious evidence. You can actually see the police reports, supposedly, and all that. And it's like, oh, this is weird. I don't know. And then um, there's, a, there's a website I follow uh, on Facebook called um, The New Nationalist, because he's like a far-out conspiracy dude. You know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't promote or uh, subscribe to any type of politics. I really don't. I follow it all and I look at it, and um, I'm kind of uh, affiliated with some of the alt righty stuff just because I went on blood sports. But it's not my thing. You know, I don't do that. I don't. I'm not afraid to talk to or deal with anybody on any terms. But um, so this new nationalist guy, and he's not like far out like a Nazi or anything, but he just is. A, he he believes in nationalism. But he wrote an article. Um, all about how uh, he thinks the whole thing is a hoax and that Kurt Cobain just faked his death and that the whole thing is just a, an elaborate hoax. And, you know, people say the same thing about um, JFK. They say the same thing about uh, Abraham Lincoln, even. You can find the people alleging that Abraham Lincoln, that that was an assassination hoax. So I find it interesting, um, Daniel, that from from maybe back in the day when we were talking about uh, the years when we were maybe listening to music and hanging out, maybe taking mushrooms or whatever, the conspiracies then were like pretty boilerplate standard stuff, you know, 9-11 was an inside job, and, uh, you know, JFK was killed by the mob or maybe by the Bush family, and all this, you know, kind of, the moon landing was fake, and now you come to 2018, and it's like, Alex Jones is Bill Hicks, the presidents didn't even really die, Kurt Cobain didn't even really die. Maybe David Bowie faked his death. Like, he, it seems like everything, the earth is flat. It seems like everything has gone, like, or then you got the Mandela effect. It seems like everything has gone off the deep end, bro. Like, like even conspiracies aren't normal anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that does beg another question. What do you think of all this Pizzagate pedophile stuff going on? Well, um, I've, I uh I remember finding a bunch of that stuff way back when I first started to study 9/11. Um, there was a uh, John DeCamp was an American senator. A lot of people think that he was actually um, what they call a limited hangout. You know that he was working for the government and bringing out evidence of uh, of a similar situation in the 90s, and it was called the Franklin scandal or the Franklin cover up. And there's a documentary about it called a uh, Conspiracy of Silence. And um, it's a similar thing. There was a, a guy, a black guy who, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but he was a Republican uh, politician, and they, like, found all these, like, weird little, like, like slave storage bins for kids in his backyard, and then all these accusations of, like, um, young homosexual call boys being taken to the White House and, like, Bush's credit cards being involved, like Bush Sr. actually being involved in it. And um, so for it to all come around again with new names and new faces, it doesn't surprise me. I, th I think these people really are sick, and I do think that um, they use, they've always used that kind of information as a blackmail tactic, and maybe it starts with just uh, getting some prostitutes for this new senator over here who seems like he's a pretty clean, upstanding guy, but you need him to be under your thumb. You need to coerce him or have him vote a certain way or make sure that you've got him under control. So maybe uh, you see if he uh, is weak sexually and, and uh, will take on some prostitutes. And if not, maybe you roofie him and pose him up with some prostitutes. And uh, for the guys that go for it, I think they get burnt out on the same old thing. And so then they start bringing them younger girls or little boys. You know, I think that's uh, and it's not just my theory. That's a, you'll find that around in books or this is a common 
they call it um, brownstoning, brownstone operation. Have you heard that? I know. So a brownstone operation is something uh, that's kind of come out of the Pizzagate thing as at least a new a new word or a phrase that they use. So they'll um, they'll get these guys that are intelligence contractors or uh, like Blackwater, what do they call it? Um, I just can't think of the word. Mercenaries? Yeah, mercenaries. And so they'll get these mercenaries and they'll assign them or get them to take like an extra young girlfriend, like, you know, maybe they're our age, and so they'll encourage them to have like a 15- or 16-year-old girlfriend. And then um, as the process goes on, their higher-ups will encourage them a, not only to have that girl as their, like, little sex toy, but then to also pimp her out and eventually even to potentially sell her, you know, so they call this brownstoning, a brownstone operation. And so I think that's probably, unfortunately, a very real thing and that, um, you know, that however low you want to go in your mind of how that could potentially play out, how young, um, how disgusting, I think it's all, unfortunately, very possible, you know. Tracy Twyman is a is a really famous occultist, and she's been doing quite a bit of research on that kind of stuff. If you've never checked out Tracy, Tracy Twyman might jump on your show too, man. Oh, she's, she's been on here. She's been on here. Oh, okay, yeah, Tracy's awesome. I, I like Tracy a lot. Do you like rap at all? Um, I was into uh, just kind of like '90s hip hop. I was a hip hop dancer when I was in junior high school. So like I like uh, MC Hammer, Bobby Brown. Um, Boys to Men, all that kind of stuff. When I was uh, before I went heavy metal, that's that's what I was all about. Was because I was from Sacramento, and you know that's what all the kids did. We were all into hip hop and like NWA and Beastie Boys, and uh, and so I still keep up with some of it. Like I'll listen to um, to hip hop with people at work, or if they've got it on, I don't usually put it on. Sometimes I'll throw a song on. Like I don't mind Tupac, or uh, I was trying to think of. Um, Who's the other one guy that I I never really went and downloaded any of his music, but um, it's strange music. What's his name, man? He's named after Machine Gun. I just can't think of it. Uh, Tech Nine. Tech Nine's pretty badass, man. Oh, okay, yeah. Tech Nine's good. But you know, I I try and um, at least keep all those names and ideas of who's who in front of me. But it's so hard anymore, you know. And uh, I've got a friend who's pretty big into um, promoting rap music, and uh, he's he's a uh, he's a dude that we're gonna have on our little uh, variety show here sometime. We're gonna we're trying to get him. He's he's um, involved with a lot of these little SoundCloud rappers like Lil Pump and um, and all these kind of guys, you know. And um, maybe not as big a name as Lil Pump, but there's a there's a guy named Slug Christ, and um, so I've tried to check out a little bit of those guys' work and. I just can't dig it, man. It's kind of what we were talking about with the other stuff, you know. Like I, I, I'm willing to give it a listen real quick, try a couple tracks, but it's so cringy and weird, and so much auto tune, and it's like I think whoever called it emo rap or uh, grunge rap that seems pretty accurate for like these guys have all got they're all tatted up, they got tattoos and nose rings, and their hair is purple and green, and like it's really emotional verses. Like, they're not hard anymore. Like, they're all super kind of crybaby emotional. Like, it's, to me, it's just odd. It's a real strange anomaly to hear these. Like, these, like this is where rap is gone, you know? What do you think about Bigfoot? Is he real? I don't know, man. I got a friend who uh, who's on actual regular uh, television hunting him on the, the Bigfoot. He's on one of the Bigfoot shows. I think that there's something to it. I've talked to a lot of people that have had firsthand experience with, like, a really strong, pungent odor up here where we live, you know, in this part of the world. <laughs> yeah. Out, out in the woods, and you run into something, 
and and it, you don't you get either weird hair or footprints and a strong smell and it doesn't identify as anything that you would definitely know like oh that's a bear that's a coyote that's a skunk so uh, there might be something to it I always joke with people that Bigfoot probably is real but he also has the ability to dematerialize that's a that's to me in my mind that's the best way to look at it like maybe Big, Bigfoot is real but he's got that telekinesis to be able to be like oh crap human beings and so instead of uh, running away or hiding in the rocks he just uh, steps out of this dimension, man. Steps steps into a place that we can't see that that exists for him, and maybe maybe it exists for us too, but we can't access it anymore. Who are the best guitarists of all time? Oh man, um, we all, so I I I learned so much from and copied so much uh, blues and uh, and heavy guitar from Jimi Hendrix that it's hard not to throw him out there first, like everybody else would. I love Jimi Hendrix. I really enjoyed um, his. I felt like I had a kindred spirit with him. But I'd say John Frusciante is uh, is probably a lesser known name as far as being a really substantial and amazing guitarist, songwriter, um, just a creative mind. If you've never looked at Frusciante, uh, he you know he's the main guitar player from the Chili Peppers. He replaced Hillel Slovak when he died. Hello, Slovak was the first guitar player, and Frusciani replaced him. And um, his stuff with the Chili Peppers is amazing, and it's really good, but his solo work is far out and different. And then as far as, like, really technical, awesome, uh, you know, the virtuoso guys, I'd say that, um, let's see, uh, Jeff Beck. You're going to be hard-pressed to, to find anyone that can play the guitar like Jeff Beck as far as just mastery, a true master of the guitar, because he only plays with his fingers, you know, he doesn't play with a pick. You can play anything you want. Um, trying to think off the top of my head, who else would I say is really upper echelon? Like Mark Knopfler from uh, Dire Straits is kind of in the same, a similar category. I'd say Jeff Beck is probably more advanced than Mark Knopfler, but Mark Knopfler is really clean and good. Um, and of course, Dimebag Daryl, man, that was my that was my go-to jam. You know, Zach Wild is I. I I still follow Zach Wild on Instagram because his Instagram account is hilarious. He manages it himself. He'll jump on there and drink coffee and shred guitar and like he'll he'll make like little video memes and jokes with his uh, crew and his band members and so I still I that was uh that was the first time I ever saw a really awesome guitar show was Zach Wild in nineteen eighty nine. I know we talked about that. We both saw it's funny we both saw Ozzy Osbourne when we were thirteen. That's that's a testament to Ozzy's uh, ability to put on the show, huh? If in 1989 I'm 13 uh, and I'm watching Zach Wilde and Ozzy, and then would you say you said you were born in '94? Who me? Yeah, is that right? No, I was born in '82. '82. Okay, no, I, was, I must have been thinking of somebody else. That's probably that kid. I, I I'm DMing with you and that kid I mentioned. Uh, um, Byron on Twitter, so pardon me if I made a mistake there, man. I apologize. Maybe, maybe, oh, no it, wasn't, maybe it wasn't you at all that said you saw Ozzy. I'm sorry. I got you guys mixed up. No, I wish I had. I mean, I think Ozzy's a legend. I That's actually my favorite style of music. The doom metal, the slow, heavy riffs, and the the witchy sort of themes. The bluesy yeah, I love sort it. of. Me too. Me too, man. Like Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath, right? Yeah, but, exactly. And, and all the bands that that uh, came, that spouted from them and all the all the ones that they inspired, which is pretty much almost every metal band. Yeah, 
It's funny, like the the young kids I know that that listen to this newer, like what I call math metal, you know, because like what what I would call new metal came after the '90s genre metal. Like so, you get Corn and Limp Biscuit and um, this kind of era, and I never really dug any of that stuff. I was never really into that. You know, there's a few songs that are okay, but it, I don't consider Corn a heavy metal band, really. You know, but um, these younger kids, they call all that stuff that me and you were just describing. They call it dad rock, and I think that's just <laughs> hilarious. It's not even metal to them anymore. Like I say, Pantera's real heavy metal, and they're like, no, that's just dad rock, bro. That's not even metal. I'm like, what are you talking? About? <laughs> Okay, yeah, that's, wow, things change. It is, it's weird, and then you go listen to what they're listening to, and it sounds like uh, like a robot having sex with a pinball machine, you know? <laughs> it's like so aggressively fast and technical, I mean, and it's really amazingly technical, but I don't, I want that groove, man, I want groove metal, you know? Yeah, I've, like heard, White I've Zombie. heard that White stuff. Zombie was pretty awesome, man. Yeah, White Zombie for sure, I've heard that stuff, the, uh, math metal it's very uh complex and um interesting but i i agree with you i just don't feel the groove i don't really feel the the rhythm with it it's a little bit too um too much sound for me (laughs) something like that yeah yeah i mean i i i never had uh so much fun in a mosh pit as watching sepultura open up for pantera because it was all just you know something some kind you could groove to and you're kind of dancing and moshing at the same time and I can't imagine trying to pack into the front two rows of a venue and hear these guys like play this. It's like a memorization chart of, you know, we do 16 bars and then we do 24 bars and then we go back to 16 and then we do 48 and then we just do 12 and, you know, and then eight, three times different and then back again. Like it's almost like jazz, you know? Well, I play a little guitar myself and I can't even really play until I get some sort of groove and until I get some kind of beat or rhythm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, my my favorite thing to do nowadays is play the acoustic guitar and either jam the blues or jam um, like folk, like like Hank Williams. You know, I'll play this kaboom, chunk, boom, chunk, boom, chunk. You know, you have to get that. It has to move. Man. It has to move like make you swing a little bit. So I don't I don't vibe on that other stuff so much. Do you smoke or eat cannabis? I used to. I don't anymore, man. Last time I. Uh, Last time I ate some some cannabis, I was like kind of having a, a bout of insomnia. And I know this old uh, hippie sage lady who, like years ago, she made some cookies and she left a bunch of the cookie crumbs at her house. And so my girlfriend was out of town, and I was like, uh, "Screw it, man! I'm gonna eat some some weed and get kind of stoned and watch a movie." And it made me so paranoid. Like I turned off the TV. And I'm like, "Screw this!" And so I went and laid in bed, and I'm like looking at my phone, trying to just like chill out. And I'm just like. I can't even look at my phone. It's just making me feel paranoid. So I just, like, closed my eyes and laid there with the blanket and, like, astral projected for three hours. It got me so stoned to eat, like, not even a handful of cookie crumbs. So, like, I don't I don't mess with it no more. But I used to I used to smoke, like, the days long, man, chronic smoker. And I never was huge on edibles, but, I mean, I definitely did plenty of edibles. It just always used to knock me out, you know. It's, I'd get so high, I'd be high for just a minute, and then I'd just go fall asleep, and everyone'd be like, "You passed out." Like, "Oh, okay, maybe I shouldn't eat a whole cookie." <laughs> Does your girlfriend believe in the same things that you do? No, no, no. She's she's very uh, copacetic, and she's uh, she she says she likes the romanticism of the flat Earth, and she appreciates that. Um, she can definitely see that there's no easy solution, so it's not like we're diametrically opposed. You know, she understands, like, okay, if you go try and solve 
like the most basic problems of what flat earthers. I, it, it amazes me that most people don't see that they can't come to the same conclusion that like, okay, there's a reason that people are stuck on it, you know. That it, there's, there's definitely a, a dividing line where you can take sides and now we can just endlessly digress and disagree. And I think that's why they brought it out. But she doesn't take take a side. She's like she likes the idea that it kind of uh, causes what I would call. I, I'd say along with what I said about religion or a religious experience, I think they're bringing magic back into the world, Daniel. I think this is what we're seeing. It's part of the communitarianism thing. Is that so? You've got the political side of it where they have to write laws and make all of the quote unquote community agenda twenty one environmentalism. They have to make all of that work. Um, in a new way, because the old world is going away, and they're bringing a new—they're bringing the new culture. They're like, it's like we're changing from Windows 7 to Windows 10, right? And uh, so, along with that, they're also bringing back not just a new spirituality like monotheism, but also I think they're going to bring back magic. That's why you're seeing guys like Miguel Connor, Gordon White, and all of these uh, Christopher Knowles, all of these occultists and esotericists are being brought to the forefront um, partly because it's real and they really believe it and they're practicing it, and partly because it's part, it's a piece of the bigger puzzle that's happening, that, um, that, they're, that they're bringing out this, uh, they're, you know, they're, they're bringing out a new plan. The, the world's changing right before our very eyes. We're, we're living in very interesting and strange times. All the people before us were waiting for this time, and it's exactly the name of your show. I mean, is it really the end of days, or are they going to, make the appearance of the end of days and transcend this and push us all into something else or only some of us are going to make it. They're going to kill us all off. Who knows, right? We don't know. That's what we're waiting to see. Yeah, exactly. Uh, What do you think? Do you think it's going to go down one certain way? Yeah, I, I, I vacillate on that just like everything else we've talked about. Sometimes I think, well, I mean, not, not believing the nuclear bombs are real has really, encouraged me to think that maybe them claiming that they want to kill off a huge amount of the population is maybe that's just another scare tactic or a hoax that they can't actually do it. You know, like the Georgia Guidestone saying that we got to reduce the population down by 90% or whatever it says. I'm, I Sometimes I wonder if it's not a complete inversion that uh, maybe it's actually that they need a lot of us here and they need and when I say they, I mean like the archons or the invisible beings that maybe they're feeding off of us literally something more like the Matrix. Maybe they're uh, cultivating and farming us for our physical, actual energy and that they need us here and that one way to, to keep us um, in that state of, of uh, panic that they need is for us to all imagine that we're coming right upon Armageddon. We're coming right upon our certain death. We're coming right upon, you know, apocalypse. But really... That's a way to keep our um, vibration and our senses heightened and elevated so that they can harvest the energy off of us um, for whatever it is that they might need it for. You know, that's that's the kind of stuff that goes through my mind. I don't I don't I don't, I'm not so sure that they really want to um, have more wars. It seems like we've kind of gotten away from real economic crashes, from real wars. I'm not trying to undermine what's going on in um, in these countries where they're definitely bombing and killing people. But it doesn't seem like we're moving towards another World War One, World War Two type thing. I sure hope not. I really hope not. I hope I hope that we can avoid that. But um, it seems like the shelf life of them 
doing actual false flags or especially any of these hoaxy type things that we see. Like a lot of this shooter stuff is very obviously hoaxy stuff, you know, if you look at it. You know, I'm not I'm not going to go so far as to say I never studied something like Sandy Hook enough to say that I have an opinion on it, but I, they definitely are pulling ops all the time. Like I, the whole Las Vegas thing, I, I looked at that quite a bit, and I didn't find any evidence of, of any um, anyone bleeding, anyone dead, any shell casings for that matter, any bullet holes in the building facades. You know, it just looked to me like they threw machine gun noises over the sound system and called it a shooting. You know, what do you think? I think that those things are all false flags. Yeah, and that's I think their the shelf life on their false flags has just gone through the floor. Like it used to last like something like nine eleven last ten years or twenty years, you get some pull off of it and really use it as a tool to manipulate people. And now, you know, they pull something like Las Vegas or some other shooting and hell they can hardly get a week or two out of it, you know, so they're pulling another one. That's what it seems like to me, anyway, you know. Have you heard this conspiracy theory about dinosaurs being fake? Yeah, yeah, I have. I think that I think that's true. I think that, um, well, I'll, I'll tell you, what, the, the interview I did with that other guy, Jesse Wall, we talked about something that um, I found years ago to, to seem pretty accurate, that they parallel things all the time. They're always taking something that's real, and they're creating a false or less true version of it and they're running that parallel to uh, whatever's really going on. So maybe there really are giants or there really are fossils or there really are things hidden in the ground that we would prefer know about and understand. And so, A, instead of telling us about it, they hide them. And B, then they come up with a fake story that supports some piece of their other fake story like evolution. You know, and so that's what I think. I, I think that that whole thing is just, I think it's fake as hell, man. I, I think that there aren't any real dinosaurs, that it's just, that there probably is something, but it's not what they told us, you know. I was wondering if maybe, because they say what they have found are the, the skulls of the dinosaurs. I have to wonder if that's a reptilian skull. Yeah, that's a, that's curious. If you, have you read Tracy Twyman's Baphomet book? Uh, no, not yet. Yeah, yeah, you should get a copy of that, because it kind of deals with that about um, Abraxas, that maybe the, the god Abraxas is, was a real creature and that it was like um, a, a, a chimera body with snake legs. So maybe they're finding something like that. You know, maybe it's got a, a lizard head with huge snake legs or, you know. I, I wonder sometimes if all those chimeric creatures that we see in the um, mythological art, I wonder if they're not, if there's not something to that, you know. Yeah, I have a strong leaning that there probably is. I mean, it seems like they're heading that direction again. Sometimes I wonder if we're not just repeating the same story and that every time these uh, powers that be get close to having, like, mastery of DNA and genetics, that uh, that God uh, comes and wipes them out again. You know, sometimes I wonder if that's not, that we're not seeing that maybe they had it in Egypt and before that they had it in Sumeria or Phoenicia and then every time the, that they get really close, that um, something bigger than whatever's inside this earth comes down and knocks the whole thing over and make, you know, like a little kid who's uh, one kid's building the tower and uh, the bigger kid comes along and smashes it down, you know, so you have to start building again. Sometimes I wonder if that's not how 
the timeline of history rules. Yeah, yeah, that's a good possibility. Uh, unfortunately, we are hitting the end of our interview, SB. Thank you so much. But before we go, I do want to give you one more opportunity to go ahead and get up on the soapbox one more time. Say whatever you would like to say to my audience out there, and also feel free to follow that up with anything at all that you would like to plug. Yeah, certainly, man. Um, I guess the one thing that uh, that I had on my little list that we didn't cover would be uh, the the idea of um, of bringing a positive outcome all of, out of out of everything we talked about. I mean, usually I'd say people get stuck up in uh, in being paranoid, dissatisfied, unhappy, or scared because they found so many lies and so much uh, so much bullshit, for lack of a better word. And so I would encourage everyone to take control of their food supply and their water supply to learn how to garden. You know, even if you're just starting with a little planter box in your uh, window, or if you've got property, man, if you're not uh, if you're not practicing cultivating the land to grow your own food, I would encourage everyone to do that and to take a close look at um, at why you would want to do that. Um, look at, at at the genetic modification of foods of all of the, you know, com- what I would do is compare artificial intelligence, genetic research with guys like Craig Venter and uh, GMOs, and uh, compare all that to um, raw raw living, raw food diets, uh, fruitarianism, or just raw veganism. They call it whole foods, plant based. That's a, I'd say those are things that really afford someone a chance to a if if there is no food at the grocery store, um, you know they they crash the stock market and there's there's no availability of stuff. That at least hey in your backyard you've got tomatoes, you've got carrots, you've got berries, you've got pumpkins or whatever, and you can eat right. And um, I guess the other thing on top of that is to to get to know yourself more than your um more than you're getting to know about any one branch of the conspiracy, you know. So find out who you are, be honest with yourself, find out what your flaws are. You know, that's, I feel like it took me a long time to get to that point where I came out the other side and I'm happy and uh, reasonably healthy, comfortable, doing well. You know, so I encourage everyone to do that, you know. But other than that, man, this has been a great interview. I really appreciate you uh, replying to my email and having me on. Um, I don't have a website, but people can find me on Facebook. I'm, I'm Sean Alger. You know, I go by SB whenever I'm out here doing interviews. Um, my my YouTube is S B Alger. I'm 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 the real me. No no avatar here. No uh, no pseudonym. I know it's bold, but hey, that's uh to me. I want if, if they're gonna keep files and tabs on me, uh, they're gonna spy on me. I'm just gonna be me then. Here I am. I'm Sean Alger. If you want to find me? I'm on Facebook. I'm on YouTube. Come check me out. And if you want Daniel, I'd love to have you sometime. Come jump on even for a short spot on the RX Only Picture Show. So. Yeah, absolutely. I'm always looking for uh, opportunities to plug and interact and stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really loose and, and goofy. So you could come. You know, I don't know if you want to be on camera or not, but you can come at least jump and talk to us, and uh, maybe play, I'll play some requests for you on the guitar. And we do it every Wednesday at seven o'clock on my YouTube uh, live for about three hours every Wednesday. So that's it's a true variety show. So good stuff. All right, SB. Uh, I had so much fun talking to you tonight uh, amazing conversation we we covered uh, everything a to z thank you so much and we should definitely do this again at some point and i'll yeah, definitely for sure. yeah absolutely i'll definitely I'll, uh, I'll follow up with you man I, I got you i got you on the on the twitter there so if uh if something pops in my head i'll send you a link or uh when i go back and listen to this some of the stuff i said i'll send you i'll, I'll remember and um because i'll go check this out and i'll send you some links and we'll just follow up and we'll find an excuse to you can jump on my uh on my show, I'll jump back on yours in a month or something or whatever, man. Sounds good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, until then, my friend, you have a good night. 
Hey, you too. Thanks a lot, Daniel. Take it easy. And that was our buddy SB coming at us in a very in-depth, over two-hour-long interview about all sorts of things. A lot of topics covered there. Had a good time talking to him. I love talking to people that aren't necessarily the same old, same old. People that have an interesting perspective. I just like people in general. I think that everybody has something that makes them interesting. And I think that every individual is a snowflake with their own perspective and their own world onto themselves. And SB is somebody that you probably haven't heard on Coast to Coast before or any radio programs like like that, but a lot of people have actually gotten their start here on End of Days Radio. There's many guests that appeared here first and then went on to appear on several uh, national talk shows with hundreds and hundreds and thousands of listeners, maybe even millions. So uh, end of days radio, gateway to the stars, <laughs> right? Uh, it's kind of funny because I know that the producers and, and people involved with uh, this certain other programs, they listen to this show and uh, they listen for guest ideas and, and other ideas and stuff like that. And that's fine with me. I'm flattered to have such influence um of course i would i'd like to have the money that they're making but that's not going to happen so <laughs> so uh, you know i feel i feel uh okay if anybody wants to be inspired by this program because hell i've i've been inspired by other programs myself so we all do it and we we all are trying to get this information out there so so a uh, power to anybody that's thinking about starting up a podcast or some form of media to get the message out there. But you know what? Let's take a break. I have plenty to say, but that can wait until a little later. I'm going to go ahead and play some music. I'm going to get freshened up, and then we'll do it some more. Plenty more show tonight. Welcome back to End of Days Radio. This is your host, Daniel, broadcasting to you all the way from the beautiful Emerald City right here in the heart of the Pacific Northwest. Oh my, wow, what an awesome interview. What a great day it is. I do have something that I really want to talk about. <clears throat> I really want to talk about this, boys and girls. So, how many of you watched the show Smallville when you were in uh, junior high or high school or as a young adult or whatever. How many people watch Smallville, the show Smallville? I know I did. I didn't watch every episode of every season. I think I got bored with it towards the end. But I'm willing to bet that many of you out there have watched Smallville. Well, <laughs> so the girl that played, let's see, what was her name on Smallville? Chloe Sullivan one of Clark Kent's best friends in the WBCW hit series Smallville, Chloe Sullivan. She uh, she has been arrested 
because she was in a sex slave cult, a cult that had these, it's called N, <laughs> N Roman numeral number 10, I Roman, Roman numeral V, M, geez, how, how do you even say that? Um, but this cult, and it turns out the uh, other girl from the show Smallville was involved as well, Kristen Kruick, who played Lana Lang. So this guy Keith Rainier, it was he was the founder, and this uh, cult was involved with a bunch of very high-level people, very elite members of society, celebrities, actors, actresses. And it seems that it was actually getting funded by a very rich family that's close close to the Rothschilds. So definitely some links to the whole satanic ritual, pedophile, satanic traumatic abuse network thing here but it seems to be all getting blamed on this guy Keith Rainier which it should be because apparently he's the founder but uh, there may have been some very high level elite types funding the organization and this girl Allison Mack I mean she's this little blonde blonde girl and for some reason I don't know what it was but when I would watch Smallville, I would always call her ugly. I don't know why. I mean, she wasn't really ugly, but something about her. I just hated her, and I'd call her ugly. And I probably would have never admitted that if it <laughs> if this didn't come forward. I probably wouldn't admit that I was calling her ugly, but I, there was something about her. I'm not sure what it is, but, you know, just this innocent-looking, petite girl who's playing this very innocent character. Apparently she's this recruiter for this sex slave cult. And she's going out and she's bringing girls into it. And she's actually high level in this organization. Like, what kind of sick freak bitch is this? <laughs> what kind of sick fuck? Allison Mack. What, what's, going, what's going on? She's this like sick person that wants to have slaves and i guess they were actually branding them they were branding them they were heating up letters and branding them into the women and they were screaming and they were branding this guy keith rainier's letters into them and they were branding allison mack's name into them too like it was read one way, it would say the Keith Rainier guy, and read the other way, it would say Allison Mack. And she was apparently set to inherit the whole thing. She was going to get the whole organization. Again, this little Chloe Sullivan from Smallville, she's this freaking... She's in this cult where they're branding women, they're sex slaves, and so much has come out about this thing, this cult, however you pronounce it. Uh, apparently there was some, like, Dr. Mengula doctor that was performing 
fear experiments on the girls, or some of them. He was performing some kind of experiments to make them very afraid to produce some kind of drug or something like that, or produce some kind of chemical. It really makes you think of adrenochrome. Adrenochrome. You guys remember that adrenochrome? That substance that supposedly these elites that torture people and sacrifice them, they're addicted to it. It's a chemical in the brain. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, I originally heard of Adrenochrome on Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, that movie with Johnny Depp where he's driving around through the desert and he's taking all kinds of drugs. And I think the craziest one that he finally takes is Adrenochrome. And a lot of my friends in high school, they thought it was uh, like made up. It wasn't real. It was like a, a fake drug they made for the movie. And I thought that for a long time. And then it turns out it's real. And we even had a guest come on here and talk about it, Adrenochrome. So shame on you, Allison Mack. What is your problem? Why would you be involved with this at all? Like, what the hell kind of sick bitch is this? This sick, like, oh, my God. And looking at her eyes, like, she just has this evil look in her eyes, this sadistic, evil, power-hungry look about her. It's just really terrible. And I think that this is a lot deeper and a lot more vast than any of us realize. I think the, these, I think that these sex cults and these ritual abuse networks, it's all going to start coming out more and more. And it's already happening. It's all going to, what, all the stuff going on in the backstage, it's going to come forward and people are going to all be aware of it. These things are going to become household things that everybody knows about. It's going to be mainstream. More and more stuff from the backstage and what would be considered conspiracy, it's going to come forward. A, a light's going to be cast on a lot of these crazy things going on. So that's that. Allison Mack, you are disgusting. You are going to hell. You are going to burn in the dark pit. You are a terrible human being. And what the hell is going on out there? Holly Weird, right? That's why they call it Holly Weird, the city of evil demonic packs with the devil and sex slave cults and child molestation rings. In other news, apparently a man was eaten by a lion. <laughs> this guy, he's walking into a lion pit and he's taunting the lion and all of a sudden the lion grabs him and this guy's got to be the same size as me, if not bigger. Like this 230 pound dude and this lion just grabs him by the neck and the throat and just ragdolls him. Like he just just raggedy ends raggedy ends his ass. Just blah, 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 just almost like if a dog ran up and grabbed a bone and started shaking it. 
That's how it looked. This full-grown man just getting ragdolled by this lion. He's just got him in his mouth. It just, and it just really made me realize that these these creatures are so big and so powerful. You would really stand no chance. Like you think, oh, I'd run up a tree, I'd grab a stick and like poke its eye or do something. But realistically, what the hell are you gonna do against a full-grown lion that? just has to grab you and bite you once to just completely break your spine and paralyze you. That's what they do. They just run up to you. They just bite down on your neck and you're done. You're done. That's it. Once it breaks your spine, you're paralyzed and that thing is going to eat you. Do not taunt lions. Do not try to fight these creatures. Um, one interesting story is that that movie with Val Kilmer, The Ghost in the Darkness. One one uh, line was called The Ghost, and its female mate was called The Darkness, and they'd go around and they'd kill all these people, and they killed hundreds of people or something like that. Well, these animals would just sneak up on people. A lot of them had guns on them, and they would just kill them and eat them. And there wasn't a damn thing that anybody could do about it. With all their guns, with all their weapons, machine guns, it doesn't matter. Because when it comes down to it, if it's nature versus man, nature's going to kick man's ass. Trust me. Like, I mean, I, I know that there's no animal that a person can't just shoot and kill. But who's to say you're going to have your gun pointed in the right direction in time? And you're not going to be taken down by a giant bear or a giant lion or, or some kind of prehistoric carnivorous beast that'll just ragdoll you and rip you in half like you're nothing. Like you're nothing. Don't fuck with nature is the lesson of this story. I do have some news stories for you. Do, 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 do. See here. Aha. This is from Reuters.com. The U.S. National Secure, Security Agency, the NSA, collected 534 million records of phone calls and text messages of Americans last year, more than triple gathered in 2016, a U.S. intelligence agency report released on Friday said. The sharp increase from 151 million occurred during the second full year of a new surveillance system established at the spy agency after U.S. lawmakers passed a law in 2015 that sought to limit its ability to collect such records in bulk. The spike in collection of call records coincided with an increased report on Friday across other surveillance methods, raising questions from some privacy advocates who are concerned about potential government overreach intrusion into the lives of U.S. citizens. The 2017 call records tally remained far less than an estimated billions of records collected per day under the NSA's old bulk surveillance system, which was exposed by former U.S. intelligence contractor Edward Snowden in 2013. The records collected by the NSA can include the numbers and time of a call or text message, but not their content. And it goes on to say, overall increases in surveillance halls were both mystifying and alarming coming years after Snowden's leaks, privacy advocates said. 
The intelligence community's transparency has yet to extend to explaining dramatic increases in their collection, said Robin Green, policy counsel at the Washington-based Open Technology Institute that focuses on digital issues. The government has not altered the manner in which it uses its authorities to obtain called detail records. Timothy Barrett, a spokesman at the Office of Director of National Intelligence, which released the annual report, said in a statement, the NSA has found that a number of factors may influence the amount of records collected. These included the number of court-approved selection terms, which could be a phone number of someone who is potentially the subject of an investigation, oh great, or the amount of historical information retained by phone service providers, Barrett said. We expect this number to fluctuate year to year. Okay, so it goes on and on. I'm not going to bore you to death by reading the whole thing, but point being, they are increasing how much that they're collecting. Um, I've talked about this on this program many times. Again, going back to Project Echelon back in the 90s, seeing that on uh, shows like 48 Hours Dateline, shows that would cover stuff like this. Um, they've been they've been collecting our phone data, listening to every phone call for a long time. And these numbers and this data, data, it really doesn't mean anything that we don't already know, that they're spying on every single thing that we do. Every time you take a dump, your smartphone is listening to every little plop. Plop. 